Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. When is a comics podcast even less of a comics podcast than usual? When it is the first podcast of June 2022, apparently, as Graham McMillan and I are more than happy to talk about Star Trek, San Diego Comic-Con, going to movie theaters, people who've threatened to punch us, unlikely doppelgangers, the kids in the hall, James Elroy, and kind of, sort of there at the fringes, the departure of Joe Quesada for Marvel, and Garth Ennis writing the upcoming Battle Action Special. We welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, hello. Hello, how the devil are you? I I am I am deviled. Yes, I mean in the sense of uh, mayonnaise and a lot of mustard and a, a little bit of cilantro. Um, yeah, and yourself? Uh, do you know deviled eggs are 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 the devil? I'm not a fan of deviled eggs, <gasps> and I remember one time where I ate one to be polite, knowing that I wasn't a fan. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done this where like you're in a situation where you're like it? You know, I know I don't like this, but I, I, I should do it. Mm. Like I, I understand the social circumstances, and I should just eat it. And I remember desperately trying to carry on a conversation, pretending that I was not absolutely sickened by what I was eating. <laughs> oh, that's terrible! Wow. And I remember, like, like even just remembering right now, I can imagine like the feel in my mouth and just me just being like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm definitely thinking like. Is there a way I can just Ooh. spit this out into a napkin and no one will notice? Oh, oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you, and I gotta say, I'm sorry that happened to the deviled egg. Because I mean, those things are delicious, and there's not enough of them in the world. So the fact that I was you... gonna ask, like, are you a deviled egg star? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, um, one year, oh, Edie made me deviled pickled eggs, and those, ah. Oh, now, to be fair, I think as I've grown older, I'm more of a pickled egg man than a deviled egg man, but I'm definitely down with a good deviled egg. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, so I, I'm i sure I've had that experience that you've talked about, although I'm not sure if I... Mean, I... Not, with, not with deviled eggs. But not with like, deviled with eggs, something. exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't have... The deviled egg is not the star of the story as much as the, the story is about that moment where you eat something and you know you're going to hate it. Yeah, no, uh, well, okay, but you'd had deviled eggs before and you I hated them. Yeah, and so you ate it to be kind. I'm trying to think if I've actually ever, I say actually ever, I have done that, but I think one of the things that's wild about um, being... Uh, pescatarian for so long is I, I got really good at saying like oh no I, I can't eat that or no thank you you know what I mean like there's it just it was that because otherwise I would have eaten a lot of bacon wrapped canapes and I was like Mm-mm. and those things I mean the plus, the plus side about being pescatarian is you can say I'm pescatarian and like people understand that like for deviled eggs I literally just be like no I'm picky yeah 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 well that's you true know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, it's true. You might be able to get away with that, Graham. I have to say, like, whoever knew it, like, I'm assuming they didn't necessarily know you well, per se, like, what the circumstances were. But, you know, I feel like 
you know, you're. I, I think you're widely acknowledged as a picky eater, right? Like, uh, if if not, what not? Please know right now that I am an exceptionally picky eater. Mm-hmm. I am like you know, I share a house with a nine year old who's arguably less picky than me. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. He's much pickier. Yeah, but he's also more willing to try new things. If that makes sense. Yes. Yes, like, that does make more sense. Easily, he's more easily conned into things that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he kind of suspects he isn't going to like, but right. he suspects he's not going to like it in like a nine-year-old sense. Yeah, right. Like, for example, tonight there was literally a conversation as to whether chicken was inherently white or whether he just doesn't like chicken that is white. Mm. Mm, I kind of get that. I kind of get that. Yeah. Oh. And he was like, because I don't like white chicken. Mm-hmm. And we were like, yeah, but chicken's kind of like, you know, cooked chicken is kind of white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, when it's not, something has been added to it. Well, it's interesting, because I sort of feel like, yeah, but the dark meat, wasn't there dark meat? Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but even then, it's, it's kind of gray. <laughs> well, it's true, it's gray, but it's not white. Like, and I kind of, I don't know if he's like... Oh, no, but here's the thing. He doesn't like dark meat of chicken. Mm, wow. Like, he, he basically was asking something along the lines of, is it going to have the sauce that I like? Ah, uh, Right. I see. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the answer was no. <laughs> but but he didn't, like, beyond that, he was like, but is it white? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Because I don't like, I don't like white chicken. Again, uh, but as a kid, I, I kind of see that, yeah. I'm just like a weird thing where I'm just like, no. You know, <laughs> I once had something similar to that texture, therefore, no, I just can't do it. Right. Right. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why children covet adult status. You know what I mean? Like, you kind of get to do the, no, I don't want to, you know. <laughs> They're like, really? You're going to have to declare bankruptcy? It's like, nope, nah, nope, nope, nope. No, thank you. I, I will, I will continue to um, make my comics from cheap paper sources and then have to, you know, postpone shipping a huge chunk of my titles when the paper shortage hits. That's me. I'm a I'm a grown up, and by grown up I mean Marvel Comics, and therefore not a grown up at all. So I was gonna say like that's a very particular thing. Um, get before we pivot to that thing that you're talking about. Mm. Uh, I do want to say that uh, one more in your story, which is this week. I as, as you know, Jeff, and, and as the Walnuts don't, um, we basically had to spend the weekend like. Cleaning the, the apartment, cleaning the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I say apartment. It's like a three-story building. It really is. It, it looks huge. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. a big house. Yeah, mm-hmm. for some reason it's an apartment. Go with me anyway. Yeah. Um, and so at one point he, he brings through – because he's not doing any of this, of course, right? Oh, of so course. I, yeah. Adults are doing this. And he brings through his plates. And he is, a, he is the, the kid's tendency to just keep using plates. As opposed to reuse a plate, he'll just get a new plate. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's been sitting in front of his computer for like four hours and he has like three glasses and two plates. And he just leaves them by the side of the sink. And I was like, you know, one of these days we're just going to make you actually do the dishes. Mm. And with ink, like what could only be described as swagger, he just went, nope. <laughs> and walked out the room. <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. You're, you're going to lose 
this conversation, but I love that that was your response. Yeah, exactly. Just like, nah, nah, I refuse. Yeah, yeah, he may not pull it off. I'm like, also part of me is like, uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm still nine years old. I gotta tell you, I'm pretty bad when it comes to, to, to like, oh, like, at the end of the day, Edie's got one water glass. I somehow have six, you know? And it's like, ugh, mistakes were made. Like, you know, I try really yeah, but hard. At least, at least you think mistakes were made. That is true. 100%. Yeah. It's just like, no, because that was my glass for the last thing I had. Mm-hmm. And we're like, yeah, but it's still water. It's the same thing. And he's like, no, 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 no. Have I told you about the no that he does? <laughs> no. So you know the Drake meme, where he's like yes. shaking his hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what. That's how he says no. Really? Yes. Like, oh, that's great. And so it's hilarious because you'll be like, uh, you know, dude, we've got to get to school. You've got to put your shoes on. And he just like shakes his hand. He goes, no, 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 no. And it's like, no, we really do. We we really have to go. No, 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 no. That's hilarious. Um, well, that sounds that sounds good. It sounds it sounds like uh, I want to say sounds like you're raising a good kid. But I mean, it will sound sarcastic. <laughs> but I'm being serious because I do think that there is there is something to, to be said for being able to be nine and still kind of be um, self centered. I think you know. You think? Yeah. Like, like I'm actually asking. Like, do do you think that? Do you think there's something to be said for being self centered? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I th- I, I do, because I, I think that, um, you know, I just, maybe it's just me, but, like, I, I know a lot of people, and maybe have been a lot of the people that, well, I mean, I, I was self-centered as a kid, but at the same time, I was also triangulated weirdly into um, my parents' relationships. And growing up, I knew people for whom that was even more the case. You know, those people who are kind of like, yeah, I never had a childhood types. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of sad. Like, you know, because you only really kind of get that opportunity to be... What, at that age? Yeah, right? Like, you know, where you can be that selfish with the sort of the least number of repercussions. And then you're an adult and... It's either too late and you just feel like you've missed it or worse, you try and regain it for yourself. You know what I mean? So it's just, I, I think, I, I genuinely do think that it, that's that's a healthy thing. So That, that makes sense. That makes sense. I was watching, um, this is another morning where I got up like far earlier than I should have. Mm. Um, and so I killed time by watching the Kids in the Hall documentary. It's on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Were you, first of all, were you a fan of Kids in the Hall? came came and went came and went you know like i was always kind of like oh that's clever oh i sort of like that and then a lot of it to me always had that eh, it was kind of done to death so yeah um um but i was i was watching the documentary and one of the things that comes out is basically they're all all of their fathers are alcoholics mm, mm-hmm. right yeah because uh, because they it, it's it's a surprisingly, I mean, it's a promotional documentary for the fact that Amazon is doing the new Kids of the Hell show, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you don't really lose track of that. Yeah. But it also goes surprisingly hard for that, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have them talking about that. You have them talking about, uh, Scott Thompson talking about, like, what it meant to be gay and a comedian and doing comedy about being gay. 
mm. like in the late eighties and nineties when that just wasn't mainstream. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. No. It's it's it was it was an instance. But one thing was like there were uh, you had I, at least three of them be like, yeah, my dad was an alcoholic, mm. and here's how that led to me going into comedy, which mm-hmm. I found like oddly fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I can definitely see that, and that that makes. That makes a lot of sense. Like I think, after the fact, my we're still. I think my family's still trying to figure out what exactly was going on, you know, with my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there was definitely a lot of um, us sort of being expected to be the entertainers around the dinner table, you know, to kind of, you know, keep keep my parents sort of. Um, uh, preoccupied and and entertained, which, as you know yeah, yeah, from that, having a that, meal that. with my brothers and I, like that's like an almost unfortunate pathology that we still <laughs> do. Um, no, it's, it's, yeah, it was really interesting. You had Dave Foley be like, you know, one of the things you when you were child alcoholic, you're very observant, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you feel the need to like fill any awkward silence. Oh, yeah. Huh. Well, you know, I gotta say, and see, that's it. I really like Kids in the Hall in the abstract, and there's one or two of their sketches that I still love and think of to this day. And then there's also just a lot of stuff where I was like, ah, ah, ah. one of the like, I, I, you've obviously not watched the new show, but right, um, right, you've heard people talk about the DJ sketch, right? I may not have. The DJ sketch have. has weeks later still lives in my brain. Wow. Okay. Uh, and it is literally as simple as it is post some sort of apocalyptic event, mm-hmm. and it is like a, a shitty middle of the road like morning DJ mm-hmm. continuing to broadcast even though everyone is dead, and he has one record, and it's Melanie's brand new key. Oh wow! Ugh. And what makes it work is I mean, and it's a, it's a thread through the show, right? So they do this, basically mm-hmm. the same skits like four times, right? And what makes it work is the joke is that when he's quote unquote broadcasting, mm-hmm. he's like talking like a morning DJ. You know, he's mm-hmm. very excited. Na na na. And here's Melanie with brand new key. And then as the record plays and the record scratch and it skips, <laughs> he just looks empty. <laughs> just as a thousand yard stare. <laughs> and he, just, he says nothing. So the skit is basically like. Brand new key plays and it's skipping. <laughs> and it stares. Oh, that is like so good. Like he's in a basement and the lights are fading. Oh. And then the song will finish. And he's like, that was Melody. <laughs> and I've heard she's got a brand new key. And let's, like, it's time for the weather. You know, there's post apocalyptic nuclear waste <laughs> rain. Yeah. Now it's time for Melody. Brand new key. And then they play the song again. <laughs> and it's, 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 like it's amazing. It's genuinely amazing. That's because great. it is the the level of discomfort in in the moments where like the record is skipping and this guy is just staring into the void mm-hmm. and they just hold on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's genuinely beautiful. Yeah, that is fabulous. Yeah, that's... Uh... You know, it's one of those things that, like, it's a really funny joke, and then when they've done it, like, the third time, mm-hmm. it's somehow funnier, but also you begin to, like, feel for the guy. Right, right, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's... it's... Anyway, 
that's that's the end of my kids in the hall joke. That's a that sounds like a sounds like a good sketch. Sounds like a uh, and sketch. I I don't know I, I can't remember if if Chloe tweeted this or not, but she watched the first episode. And she was just and she was putting it. There's a lot of penis on you. <laughs> uh, they they take full advantage of the fact that there is no censorship um, with their new show. Oh my god! By having a skit about robbers who the police are looking for, but they're looking for robbers wearing clothes, <laughs> and so the robbers take their clothes off. They're like, "Well, it can't be us. We're naked," and the police fall for it. <laughs> and the robbers are just like, yeah, "We can never wear clothes ever again, because <laughs> as soon as we wear clothes, they're gonna know it was us." Wow. Wow. Hmm. Well, and the joke is basically the police are so fucking dumb that they fall for it. And right. then they try and arrest the clothes because they find the clothes. Mm. Mm. That's funny. Uh, I guess this is a, a bad segue, but the boys, have you checked out like the new season episodes of the I new season? I didn't check out the second season. Really? Wow. And I really liked the first season. I just never got around to watching the second season. Interesting. I, I say this as someone who's watched neither season and keep telling myself that I will because it sort of seemed like people thought the second season was even better than the first, generally. So, you know. I say this as someone who did not enjoy the comic of the boys that much. I thought the first season was great. Yeah. No, exactly. I the first season basically did everything that the comic did, but did it better. Yeah, and that's pretty um, and, much and what I, I heard. Like you, I've heard a lot of people say the second season was even better. Yeah. I've also heard people say, and not people who are advertising the show, for want of a better way to put it, like people with no vested interest in the success of the show or not, Right. say that first episodes of the new season genuinely has something they've never seen on television before. Huh. And I'm really curious what that is. Right, right. That's interesting. I've missed that. Huh. Okay. Well, it's weird because it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, like I said, I haven't, I haven't um, sat down and watched the first two seasons, and I kind of don't know uh, when I will, since my relationship with Amazon Prime is uh, currently non-existent. Non-existent. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, um, but I'm still kind of rooting for it generally, I guess. So. Now, I'm supposed to be talking to Garth Ennison, so I should probably, like, try and catch up. Oh, yeah, right? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it's I'm funny. I'm not talking to him so, like, maybe not. Yeah, I was about to say, I, I, can we talk? Because I feel like that's the, I don't even know. This, I feel like this is, like, an unembargoed thing, and I, of course. Oh, I'm yeah, uh, I'm, I am, hopefully, we'll see if it actually happens, mm -hmm. talking to him about the battle action special that he has coming out from Rebellion really soon, like, right. this month, if not, like, maybe within a couple of weeks. Right, right. Wow. Okay. I know it's out digitally this week as we're recording. Really? But, yeah, but I know that, um, I also know that in terms of, like, shipping and everything, I want to say in America it's significantly later than it is in the U.K., Oh, that would that would make sense, of course. Wow. Um, hmm. Well, but digitally, I'm fairly sure it's out this week. Yeah, I kind of feel like it was something that was that seemed super imminent. Uh, as someone who's on the mailing lists, so um, I, I got to say, so for people who don't know, um, Battle Action, the the new special, 
is an anthology entirely written by Ennis. It's a hardcover as well. It's an anthology entirely written by Ennis, basically writing new episodes of the classic battle and action strips. Mm-hmm. Um, with a great lineup of artists. Um, John Higgins is in there, PG Holden's in there, Keith Burns is in there, Chris Burnham, mm-hmm. uh, Batman, Chris Burnham's in there, and mm-hmm. Kevin O'Neill draws Kid Rule OK. Oh, man. Yeah. Which is just great. Also, Kid Rule OK is in there, um, not by accident, but is sort of cheating, because it never appeared in Battle Action. It didn't jump from from action uh, into Battle Action at all. It ended when action ended. Oh, okay. So Battle Action was what action folded into yeah, and it yeah. flopped? So, uh, so you know how in, in British comics, the, mm-hmm. the things uh, like cancelled comics got folded in with like... Ex- so like Star-Lord ended up in 2080 right. and Tornado ended up in 2080. Mm-hmm. So Action, which was, you know, literally a controversial comic in the UK like it, it got suspended because apparently it was too corrupting for the nation's youth like questions were asked in parliament it was a big fucking deal mm-hmm. um, it got folded into Battle Picture Weekly which is what it used to be called mm-hmm. and it became retitled Battle Action so and then, and then Jeff goes very quiet well I mean, I, me okay well first off you, you ended a sentence I kind of thought that you well, I, yes, okay, it's I, true. I, I, I was muted and drinking something, but now I'm like incredibly self-conscious. What made it from action to battle action? Surely not my beloved Hookjaw. Um, although that would have been awesome. I think Hookjaw might have actually for real. Really? Yeah, hang on. It's, uh, I will have to look this up. Battle action. Um, see, talk amongst yourselves, everyone. Peas and carrots, peas and carrots, peas and carrots. And carrots. Boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats. Uh, oh no, battle action force. That's not a thing. Oh yeah, so that's okay. So battle action. I, sh- I should while I, I should kill time for myself while I'm talking. Uh, battle action then became battle action force when it folded in. Well, so the action stuff got uh, got folded out, right. like it cycled out battle action, but they kept the title battle action for a long time, and then got called Battle Action Force because they folded in the Action Force toy line, which wow. was a British version of G.I. Joe. Wow, that's crazy. When you said Battle Action Force, I'm like, God, that sounds like a toy line. So little... I yeah, think I said it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Wow. Um, huh. it's, I, can, I cannot, for the life of me, find hmm. what uh, folded in. I wish I could, but I... It was not Kids Rule OK, clearly. It was not Kids Rule OK. That's yeah. all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I could not. I could not find it. Sadly. Wow. I am. I am. Um, yeah, but so they merged. They merged in 1977. Mm-hmm. They merged just. I want to say just after 2008 launched. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Battle Action was the title through, like 1980. Okay, apparently through 1981. Hmm. And then it was called Battle Again for three years, and then Battle Action Force was 1983. Hmm. You know, I wonder what American comics would have been like if they... Oh, I was going to say, like, if they had done that. And I'm like, oh, Power Man and Iron Fist. Like, like right. I realized, like, oh, right. Like, I don't I don't know if there's necessarily other examples apart from that. But that's, that's a, that is definitely one. And, 
and and kind well, of. Well, I mean, but pick. you also got the thing where you know a lot of Marvel comics basically picked up the plot lines of cancel comics. Oh, sure, sure, no, exactly, and which is I mean, what, I mean, what came to is... mind. But it wasn't like yeah, it was suddenly Daredevil and Howard the Duck. You know what I mean? Like, no. um, right? And it would be have... kind of genius. You know, it works in British comics because they're anthologies, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like Judge Dredd all of a sudden has to start hanging out with Strong Team Dog, you know, right. even though they did eventually cross over. But, you know, they right. don't have to share the strip. Whereas right. in American comics, like, it's one strip. Yeah, that's a good point. So, um, Anyway, so what's in here is, because I opened up the, the preview PDF, Johnny Red versus Screamer of the Stukas, the Sarge, Crazy Keller, Dredger, Hellman versus Glory Rider, Kids Rule K, and Nina Petrova and the Angels of Death. That's right, there's a strip called Nina Petrova and the Angels of Death. Nice. Which is awesome. Um, and it's 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 a fun, like, mix of, of on the one hand, like, you know, Anna's War stories, mm-hmm. but also updates on, like, these, I don't want to say formulaic, but... You know, there is one of the joys of British comics of that era is that they are kind of like, here's your high concept. Mm-hmm. Let's let's going. We're gonna see how long this high concept works. You know, and 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 so there is some level that like you know, Stuka of this you know, Scourge of the Stukas or whatever it's called. You you know what that is from the name. You know, right? Yeah. Screamer of the Stukas. Sorry. You know, or or. Glory Rider, you you the, the the names are sort of broad enough that you understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's 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 a weirdly fun book. I I I enjoyed it much more than I I expected to, especially seeing as I don't really like war comics. You know, mm. mm-hmm. yeah. Apart from that, man, I don't really like Garth Ennis comics normally, but it, it's it's a fun experiment, and I love the idea, honestly, of one writer doing an anthology like this. Yeah, yeah. Which is a great idea. Um, you know, it'd be terrific if you sort of ask him, like, well, why why did you do this? And he's like, oh, well, you know, Rebellion had the rights to, to Troubled Souls, my first comic. And I, I didn't, I don't, I never want to see that in print again. But I'm really fond of the characters that I, I, I put in dicks. So. And you're like, no, no, that, that's Helter Skelter. Right. And he's like, oh, shit. I forgot I did the Fuck, I did this twice. I thought that would, I think that would be That great. would be so great. Um <laughs> I, apparently, uh, Ennis is coming back to 2000 AD soon as well. Oh, really? Hmm. Well, so, I, yeah, I'm, 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 I think that's kind of great, to be honest. Well, I mean, that's one of those things where I'm sort of like, yes, I, I like the idea that he's like, yeah, thanks, thanks to the success of the boys' TV show, I can write for can 2000 AD if I want yeah. to. Yeah, I don't right. have to worry about starving as a result. So, still write my beloved characters. And what's great is, because you and I are so far behind on Drock, I'll never have to read it. So, I'm very excited. <laughs> I don't think he's going to come. I wonder if he is going to come back into the trade. That would be nuts. Yeah, it would be great. I kind of hope he you does. May, you may or may not know this, mm-hmm. but um, this is the 30th anniversary of Judgment Day. Oh, wow. The, the, the zombies, the Dread zombie strip, the Enish yeah. And they right. are doing an anniversary thing for it. They haven't said what it is, but they are doing some sort of celebration of the anniversary. Oh, shit. Oh, God. I hope he doesn't come back to Judgment Day. He's like, finally, the sequel. See, it's great because. Finally, they were I can str- tell you what Zabat was really up to. Oh, 
man. That'd be yeah. amazing. Like, and I say this is someone who did not enjoy Judgment Day at all. Right. I would be kind of thrilled if it was something as weird as that. Yeah, totally. Right? I mean, would you not, would you not genuinely like, there's n- like no one asked for this and that's why I like it? No, totally. I think that's one of the things that I think would in a way be kind of great is sort of that idea of, because one of the things that's really sort of fun about reading Thrill Power Overload is, you know, and this was kind of like, yeah, no one seemed to like it, but eh, I, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. You know what I mean? Like, he's just kind of like, eh, you know, there's the things where he's like, I wasn't able to do what I, what I should have been able to do with Dread because I was too close to the material and I was too much of a fanboy. But things like Helter Skelter or Judgment Day or some other stuff, he's surprisingly like, yeah, I was, I'm fine with it. You know, we, we had a we had a laugh. You know, is Judgment Day, which one's the one where it is um, Strontium Dog pops up? That's Judgment Day. Right. He's like, yeah, that's a cracking last page, you know, or whatever. And I was like, oh, well, I'm really glad. Which, for... you know, true shame about the rest of the story. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, eh, too bad there was like another 62 pages before it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I will we'll uh, we'll see. Again, I think that that's I think I agree. I think that's incredibly cool. Genuinely, I'm glad I don't have to read it, but I think that a um it would be great. And honestly, it would probably bring a, a lot of people it might bring some new eyes in on 2080. Seems impossible sort of really, but it 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 could happen, you know. Yeah, who knows, right? Right. You know, so, hmm, well, very cool. Way more time spent talking about Garth Ennis than I was expecting, and I was the one who mentioned The Boys, so... Uh, yeah, that... uh, but no, I, have, I haven't seen The Boys answer your question. I see. Here was me thinking, because so what else, we're recording this later than normal, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, we're going to have a quick podcast because neither of us probably wants to be recording at like 10 o'clock, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? I was like, so we're just going to get to business. We're just going to, like, talk about it. And no, it's half an hour in and we're still just going meandering. (laughs) (laughs) The wait what way. Yeah, the way of the wait what. Or the wait of the what. I don't know. Um, Well, so, uh, Graham, I I think that... um, Do do you want to talk about about newsy-type stuff in the... You know, we're here, we're there, we're everywhere. You know, Roy Kent. Um, Like, for example, your excellent (laughs) newsletter uh, talked about the news about Joe Casada announcing that he was leaving Marvel. Joe's gone. Yeah. Joe's gone from Marvel. Bill James is gone from artists, writers, and artisans. Are they going to team up again? They're not, but I just love saying it as if I'm somehow going to make it happen by saying it. Well, you I'm know, going to manifest the, the right. reunion of Joe Cassetta and, and Bill James. Which is. Um, that, I the strangest yes. thing. So, I, mm-hmm. in, in the course of doing that newsletter, um, I reached out to our artists, writers, and artisans because, mm-hmm. like, there have been rumors about AWA for a while. Right. Right. And the rumors were not anything to do with Bill James. <laughs> the rumors were to do with other people at the company potentially leaving. Really? Oh. And then James goes, right? Uh-huh. And Heidi puts out that story this week, and everyone's like, what the fuck? Right. Like, th- this is nuts. Um, 
And I get in touch with Arch Rage and Arts, and so I'm like, wow, Bill's gone. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what, what's happening? And, you know, what's happening with the company? And and they get back to me, and like, the company's fine. Like, the company's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I've heard some rumors. And they're like, yeah, the rumors just aren't true. Sorry. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it would be exciting if the rumors were true, but the rumors are not true. And I will tell you right now, I'm not going to tell you what the rumors are, but I'll tell you that I told the person I was talking to who works with AWA the rumor, and their response, this is how unbothered they are, mm-hmm. their response was literally, wow, that'd be cool, but it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> like, genuinely, that'd be great. It's not happening, but that would be great, which wow. I thought was really funny. That is funny. Um, but they were like, yeah, we said that Bill left the company like a week and a half ago and no one noticed. Wow. And I was like, no, you fucking didn't. And they really did. Wow. Genuinely did. In in like a press so the the someone else has been named as co president of the company. A guy called I think Matthew Anderson. I might be misremembering the name. Um and he's someone who's been he's worked for Sky in the UK before, he's worked for News Corp over here. Um and he's now the co president of AWA. Mm-hmm. And in the press announcement for him being promoted because he's been like in the sort of involved in the company for a while, but in, in the announcement, which came out like May 26th or something, um, it actually says like Bill James has stepped away from the company wow. and literally no one noticed. Holy smokes. No one noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, good for all of us, I guess. Right. Glad right. we're all paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Bill James is gone, and he's formed a new company called Be Good. I think it's Be Good Productions, mm-hmm. and they have they have a publishing model which is insane, but also maybe genius. Mm. Um, because their their his model is uh, like upfront. We are doing. We're going to make comics to adapt into movies and TV. Mm-hmm. Like up front, he says that, mm-hmm. and he also says we're going to get the filmmakers to to make the comics, working with with as he calls them comic book artists. Mm-hmm. And I said in the newsletter, and I'll repeat here: I don't know if he means literally just visual artists, or if he's being euphemistic for creators as artists again this is a man who named the company artists writers and artisans but also someone who i know having spoken to more than once would genuinely call comic book writers artists Mm. like he that that is something he'd do Mm -hmm. so i don't know if he's actually saying like we're going to cut writers out of the picture or if he's saying you know, writers filmmakers are artists work... and therefore yeah. they're yeah yeah like filmmakers going to work with comic book writers and comic book artists mm-hmm. anyway filmmakers are going to work with creators of some color um to make the comics but the comics are going to be funded he says by his by web3 investment mm. web3 is nft web3 is blockchain and, and crypto and everything right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i don't know if he's saying that he's going to actually have investors who come from like Web3 money, mm-hmm. or if he's, we're going to sell NFTs and that's going to pay for everything. I worry that it's going to, that it's the latter, latter but like right? you said, yeah, he, who knows? 
Because here's the thing about Bill Jameis. You can't count him out. Mm-hmm. Like, you genuinely can't. Somehow, Bill always finds money. Mm-hmm. That is true. Like, he somehow he always manages to find the money to, to do what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So while, you know, I looked at that and I was like, this is maybe crazy or maybe genius. I had no doubt that, like, he is going to, like, the comics are going to be published because of this. Mm. Like, he will he will somehow make it happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so that that's it. That's the model of Be Good Productions. Um, specifically, he wants to get Web three to fund the films and the and the TV shows. Mm. He wants to step outside studios altogether Ugh. and basically make something and then sell it to the studios. Yeah, right. Sure. Which is again maybe crazy, but that's what Marvel did, and then they became successful. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we'll see who he's going to be working with. We'll see a lot of things. There's a lot up in the air about this. One person he's probably not going to be working with is Joe Quesada, who has left Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, he announced it via a Twitter post, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and was fairly nebulous about like what he's doing next, mm-hmm. which made me think he's been pushed. Interesting. And... And he's not. Mm-hmm. Like, I asked around. Apparently, Joe has been making noises about moving for, uh, about leaving for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And this basically, like, he basically stayed at Marvel longer than he intended to, mm-hmm. was, mm-hmm. was what I was more or less told. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that this is just like, this is what he's doing. Also, he's drawing something for Marvel. Mm-hmm. And apparently, he's been working on something for like a year for Marvel. Right. I personally think it's Miracle Man. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. I have no, I have no evidence for that. Like it's literally just a hunch. Mm-hmm. I have literally no reason to think that other than it just feels right mm-hmm. that he's doing Miracle Man to me. Um, but yeah, he's he's got a project going with Marvel, and apparently he's got projects going elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be hilarious if he ends up doing something with Frank Miller's new company. Oh wow! Yeah, right. and for some reason, I also think that's not impossible. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, the thing that honestly makes it more impossible than anything is it would mean Casada and Dio working together, right? But you know, maybe. Yeah, stranger things have happened. Certainly. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what they're doing. But mm-hmm. uh, both leaving in essentially like a week period, which right. is you know kind of nostalgic remember when the two of them were just dicks that we like to talk about all the time (laughs) it's totally true totally true i spent a lot of time making fun of those guys well and i i think this is one of the things that um that caught me a bit flat-footed is there are a lot of people that i respect uh such as yourself that i think really pointed out uh in a way that was convincing that like Casada's a pretty major uh, influencer, you know, in the sense of like, oh, this is this is kind of the the end of a, an era, it, you know, even if he's, he's been, been quite behind Marvel the scenes for like for, twenty four years, right? And and kind of was 
you know, someone that uh, really changed Marvel pretty significantly in a way that, you know... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you take Quesada out of Marvel and you don't have basically the last quarter century of Marvel. Right, and so... And by that, I mean, like, you don't even have the films. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. Right, you you have none of it because you have um, no Ultimates line. Mm-hmm. You have no Bendis Avengers. Mm-hmm. You don't have JMS and Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. You don't have Civil War. Mm-hmm. You don't have um, Chris Priest's Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, we can all point to like the you know the crazier parts of the Casada Casada era um, as as EIC, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you decide or. Or Ultimate Adventures. Do you remember Ultimate Adventures? Oh, yeah. God, yes, I do. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, the Epic line, although that's more a Jameis thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, there were there were definitely misfires. There were definitely misfires. But, because that is basically responsible for Marvel as it is today. You know, he, it, and he was, I keep forgetting he was EIC for so long. Mm-hmm. He did it for a decade. Yeah. He did it for 11 years, technically. But yeah. And like, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, in that period, you get Brew Baker's Cats in America, you get Bendis' Avengers. Mm-hmm. You get Wade and, and Mike Ringo's Fantastic Four. You get uh, Morrison Quitely's X-Men. Right. You get JMS Spider-Man. You get, you know, all these things that laid the groundwork for for what Marvel is now. Well, I would I would say, and this is the part that I think is um, kind of around the time that I'm like, eh, is that is that Marvel was there was you know, as you said, we were young and dumb. There was new Marvel, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then in, in which essentially all of the characters were kind of in their own universe you know there mm-hmm. was nobody there wasn't really that kind of tight line-wide continuity and then they pivoted back to it and it was huge and so i think one of the things that in a way to me is pretty remarkable about Casado's run is not just that it was too uh, it was so long, but that it was two relatively distinct, successful eras. You know, I mean, yeah, and you you basically had the era of, uh, and, and I might be like being overly simplistic here, but mm-hmm. you had the era of rebuilding coming out of, of bankruptcy. Yeah, which is also importantly the era Jameis is there, mm-hmm. right? Or mm-hmm. it is, as you said, every book is an island. Mm-hmm. And even, like, you know, the different books featuring the same characters didn't really coexist. Right. Right? Um, and everything was siloed away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there were the X books, which I guess did sort of interrelate to a degree. But, like, you had Spider-Man, you had the Hulk, and you had Captain America. And they were all, like, off doing their own things. Um, and then Jameis goes, and all of a sudden you get things like House of M. Mm-hmm. You know... Or which which at the time was a big deal. It's no, exactly. Ant's New Avengers. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ! Mm-hmm. You know, it's a crossover. We haven't had a crossover in five years, which right? is funny. Looking back, it's not that long, right? But it felt like a long time. 
It I did. guess like the last crossover, like like my crossover for S of M was probably it was probably onslaught, wasn't it? If you think about it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it probably was closer to ten years, right? Um, but but yeah, House of M was a big deal, and then all of a sudden it was like Civil War, and then you're in this period of just perpetual crossover mm-hmm. where everything was like slavishly connected to each other, right? You know, and it was it was more rare to have books that didn't interrelate exactly exactly so which is and that's kind of the era at which um like i think for it could be argued that you know casada under casada's reign the new marvel thing was like hey let's pull people back in let's try new things new new writers and artists and even new ways of thinking about things to pull people back in and more or less disentangle the kind of you know relentless continuity gangbang that that Mm -hmm. marvel had become and once everyone was more or less to certain degrees once it once they were back yeah then they turned around and started doing it and people kind of lost their mind all over again it felt it felt like it was big it felt like it meant something which again became these things that you know i just felt were like you know, Axel Alonso and Casada were repeating like m- mantras, you know, at a time when people were like, yeah, but can't you just stop? Can't, can we just stop now? And so, I, I mean, I think, I think there is, there's one of the things that's hard about Marvel is we're, we're only seeing the facade and you really have to speculate a lot. Like, there, there again. One could say that there was a period where Casada was like, okay, the creatives are driving the stories, and then very much under Casada, it. And I'm not saying that it was something that he was into, but basically, sales tactics started driving the stories. And then there was still a lot of like, okay, and then we get the creatives together in our summits and we figure out how to make this work. Like, this is dictated to us. We figure out where to go. Whereas like a few years, we were, you know, we were, we were driving the bus. Now sales have stepped in. Sales are driving the bus. and But we're the ones who have to figure out how to make it work. And we're going to do that. And so you know that feels right from what i've heard and sort of the sense of things coming out in that sense but but i guess to his credit casada is you know also made that part of marvel and part of his marvel and he he wasn't he for the most part was a guy who did not seem to distance himself from things um and no, and like I defending like I think he like enthusiastically embraced it, right? And and you know especially when especially when he was the editor in chief. Honestly, even when he he became chief creative officer afterwards, mm-hmm. um, he was the cheerleader. Yeah, yeah. You know, and also like he he stepped into the Stan Lee role in a way that honestly I don't think anyone had before him, mm-hmm. apart from obviously Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, Where in for Marvel fans, for the fans who like really, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, like believe the brand mm-hmm. and bought into like Marvel as a as a, you know, Marvel is inherently good. 
Mm-hmm. I think that if Joe Casada signed off on it, then they were like, okay, well, it must be okay. Right. You know, well, in a way that I don't, again, I don't think anyone had, you know, I think Jim Shooter wanted to in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But Jim Shooter was too Jim Shooter. Right. Right. You know, he was too straight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and he I, was too too straight. And I, 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 uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. Go on and go. I, I was going to say, I feel that and this is super important to me, is, is that Casada came was, uh, I mean, he's, he's, you know, he, he ain't hate as a comic artist. He's actually very good, you know, and, but he came out of the wizard era of promotion. Like, I think his career was made in wizards pages in a way. And so I think he, for Better and worse, he took that um, approach with him. You know what I mean? Like, like you said, it's the Stan Lee approach, but it's also the Stan Lee approach kind of filtered through the Wizard Magazine idea. Sure. Of... Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So it it so it was it's it's a it's yeah it's a significant career. I you know and it's funny yeah, because I, mean, I yeah sorry I was going I no, was no, going no, no, no 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 I'll wrap this up later. The other thing about Casada is, you know, we say it's a significant career, and it is. But also, Casada has essentially been sidelined for the last like decade. Yeah, yeah. You know, he he became chief creative officer, and you know, back in twenty nineteen, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, like literally, got sidelined because Kevin Feige became chief creative officer. Mm. And so, like, he had that title taken away from him. And it was uh, his new title was shit, executive vice president of creative development, Marvel Entertainment. Wow. Which is like, a, a, you know, Marvel Entertainment is the comic publishing site of Marvel. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but like, executive vice president of creative development is such a weirdly uh, meaningless title. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, what is that? Ad, like. What do they do? And the answer mm-hmm. is, you know, probably nothing. Mm-hmm. Collect a paycheck. Yeah, collect a really good check. You know, and and I, I say that, I say that, but the rumor, of course, was that he was basically like the secret, um, real editor in chief behind CB Spolsky. So, mm. yeah, I don't. I, I'm inclined. I don't know if I actually believe that it, to an extent. I think that Casado was probably more hands-on than people would suspect but i don't know you know it's funny i'm like yeah that could be true i mean god knows i just spent you know 10 minutes talking about how much casada's strengths were kind of how he was able to change gears you know and not keep himself mired to you know the what the 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 playing out the hand that he came in with and won with sure. and rather change tactics. So yeah, it's entirely possible. I, I just, for whatever reason, I'm like, eh, it doesn't quite feel like Well, that, it's, one, it's but, one of these you know. things, right? You kind of, at least I kind of want to believe it because I'm like, how else does C.B. Sabalski of all people become ESE? You know, well, like it, when, he, right. when he got bump, mm-hmm. it was such a weird bump. Yeah. Because it's not like C.B. Sabalski had seemed like he had any particular ambitions that title but be any sort of editorial control in marvel before that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know like the idea that alonzo would step down and it wouldn't be brief was stunning right 
Yeah. You know, or for that matter, Steve Walker, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of like, to this day, still strikes me as really weird. No, exactly. Um, but at the I, time, I, if it was Casada, I'd like to think the books would have been a bit more interesting. Well, see, and that's what – that's my thing is, is like I don't – I don't argue with the idea that Sobolski was, you know, a puppet or is a puppet, you know, or a straw man. I just don't necessarily think that Casada is the guy behind him because it feels a little bit, bit more like – sales you know the sales team doing the sales team thing where it's like oh we're gonna go back and we're gonna play our greatest hits again and again you know and but we're gonna figure out you know some sort of new way to sort of spin it i suppose like i think they might have just been like we don't really need any eic in a way like you know in the way that we need someone who's dictating the ideas because you know, Peter, Peter, David Gabriel's, you know, dictating the ideas and they're not especially good ideas. And then everyone else has to figure out how to make them work. But we already have that mechanism in place. We already have book editors and things like that. What we need is an EIC is someone who's willing to, um, you know, is kind of a good public face. And Sobolski is was more of that than Brevoort or Wacker yeah, yeah, was, yeah, you yeah. know? So, I mean, that's I, I know, my I just, thing. I, but... To this day, I still think, find it the weirdest thing. I yeah. know Wacker's left the company, mm-hmm. and and Brevoort is... Maybe Brevoort just has no ambition to do that job. Do you know what I mean? Maybe Brevoort is completely happy doing what he's doing, in which gets more power to him. Right, right. I don't know. Brevoort's a weird character, isn't he? I mean, that's, that's my thing that's always like, you know, because he... I mean, among other things, he's such a DC dude. He is just one of the bigger DC stands. And he's just, he's really, really, what's, again, he's incredibly knowledgeable about comics and comics history and comics ephemera. Um, and, And yet I was also just seeing him, like, you know, cut down comic book fanboys like, with a scythe rather than rather than give them any sort of credence whatsoever. And admittedly, people are pretty obnoxious on the internet generally, but yeah, I think Brevoort might have been like they were like he is a little too impolitic. I mean, for that matter, both as as we well know, like both Wacker and Brevoort went through periods of just basically jumping into the stands and slugging it out with the fans. And, you know, perhaps that maybe that was also sort of a thing of like, you know, we, we kind of like one thing we really need in a Patsy is not somebody who's going to get offended and start punching back, you know, and CB Sobolski's like, Hey, I'm your guy. <laughs> People have been insulting me my entire life and I don't <clears> care. <throat> I still do what I want. So I just uploaded on my my nom de plume. Yeah, Here right. Ooh, I mean that's like some seriously shit. Well, anyway, that's just what I was going to say though. Graham is the the other thing that was the oh here's the, uh, to me the other part, and admittedly, sort of semi early days in the Marvel run is um, 
you know, Casada Kas- threatened to punch you, which I, which is kind of funny that you didn't. I don't even know if you even remember it, but I know I remember it, but also like it was a completely private conversation, so I'm not going to write it in the newsletter. Oh, really? It's so long ago. Really? Isn't that just like yeah, cool yeah, old I'm... news? Do yeah, I have to I'm cut not, this I... part out? I mean, you don't have to cut this part out, but I'm also not going to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Well, can we talk about when he tried to make Rich Johnston cry in that interview? Do you remember that thing? Because that was... I don't remember that, so you should talk about it so that I, I know what you're talking about. Ooh. So Rich Johnson was doing an interview with Casada, and it was I, it was pre-pleading cool. It was probably back in, you know, lying in the gutters or whatever, but maybe even pre that was it blood in the gutters bleeding in the gutters anyway so uh, it was lying in the gutters lying in the gutters okay and and it was a a multi-page interview yes, in which for for dynamite uh entertainment right yeah maybe i think dynamite was underwriting it maybe i oh right it probably was i don't know unless it was it at cbr i just remember casada being like hey i'm just telling you like you're never going to get into comics like it's clear that you really want to break into comics don't you and i'm here to tell you 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 don't have the stuff you don't have what it takes because you wouldn't be sitting here interviewing me and johnston saying like no that's not necessarily the case i'm doing what i want to do and and casada going no but not really not really. We all know you want to do stuff. You obviously want to be part of comics. And, and I'm here to tell you, like, you just, you're never going to do it. You're never going to have what it takes. Like, it really was like his, at a certain point, Casada went on the offensive and was, and it really felt like was trying to make Johnston cry. And it was like one of the more unpleasant multi-page uh, interviews. Yeah, th- but there's. Yes. How, how, how to respond to this? Um, Casada. Again, I'm not going to talk about my experience mm-hmm. on the podcast. Sorry, what nuts. Oh. Uh, but what I know from it is, Casada was, and I suspect still is, fiercely loyal not only to his employees slash friends, but mm-hmm. to the brand. Mm-hmm. Right. Casada took attacks on Marvel as personal attacks that he had to stand up for. Mm-hmm. And Casada was also, and I'd like to think this isn't the case anymore just because he's older, mm-hmm. uh, but he was someone who, at the time, firmly believed that, like, I, you know, the best defense is a good offense. Mm-hmm. So I can 100% see him basically do that to rich with the idea of you came for me slash marvel mm-hmm. and so i'm going to i'm i'm gonna like make you regret it mm-hmm. like again this is the guy who did the whole you know dc can't make superman sell that's like being a porn star with the biggest stick and not being able to get it up mm-hmm. like do you know what i mean like there was this weird machismo yeah no, absolutely. There, there was machismo, and there was a certain amount. Of, there was definitely an amount of kayfabe. I remember him very explicitly, sort of talking about, like you know, again, sort of the Stanley meets the wrestling era. You know, where it's like we're here to provide spectacle, and and of course there were a lot of people at DC who were like, 
wow, fuck that guy. Like, seriously. And yeah, honestly... Yeah, I, I, I fuck that guy in, like, in, on a variety of levels, if that makes right. sense. Because right. there's people who were just like, well, that's not the way the game's played. Like, yeah, this, is, I mean, this third conversation is out of bounds. And there's sure. people who, again, like, took it personally and were like, oh, no, fuck him. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's what he's saying, fuck him. I, you know, do not have time for it. Well, and that's uh, it. He he may he may have also, and that and this is my thing is ultimately is I'm like yeah he may have like very good taste. He may have like steered Marvel absolutely one hundred percent in uh, the right direction, and he may still also be you know a bully with a pile of cronies. You know what I mean? Like, and that's those two things aren't necessarily you know contradict one another, nor does it necessarily. No, not at all the latter necessarily obviate the former. It just is one of those things that is always stuck with me. It's like, yeah, Joe Casada, like, yeah, we, he totally, you know, brought so much great work out, you know, and then had Frank Thierry write it, you know? So it's like, I don't know. It's, it's just <laughs> my annual cheap shot at Frank Thierry is now complete. What not? Annual. Listening. Really? Yeah. Annual? <laughs> <laughs> really? Annual? Um, no, but it, it's Casada uh, belongs to a different era of publishing. Is the other thing, mm-hmm. right? Like Sabolsky, Sabolsky's never going to do that sort of thing, right? You know, you're never going to get an interview with Sabolsky that is bookended with someone threatening to punch you, right? Right. You know, he's just not. He's too professional for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And and Casada literally comes in at the at the beginning of like Marvel being that sort of professional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when when my thing happened, I'm fairly sure it was before the Marvel sale, the the Disney sale rather. Oh yeah, yeah, I think that is. I could be wrong. I might truth. be wrong. Mm-mm. I don't think so. Because thinking about time, just thinking about time, because the Disney sale yeah. always happens like happened earlier than I always think it did. Did it? Oh, okay. But how do I put it? My memory is the Casada story happened while you were still doing Fanboy Rampage. You no. know, really? No, it didn't. Oh, right. Of course not, because you were at a con. But I was hmm, at a con okay. and I was interviewing Casada right. for an outlet. Mm-hmm. So I want to say that it's around. Fuck. Because the other. Oh shit! I see. I don't want to talk about the story, but like, there's part, there's bits of information here that like help me pin down the time. Oh, that's a shame, um, Graham. What a terrible. Oh, fuck! I have to. It's great that we're not talking about it. And I'm like, wow. I I I'm glad. I appreciate. I appreciate you not telling me I have to cut everything out, and I respect that. No, enough. but it's, I'm honestly, grateful the enough. I'm not talking, try the reason I'm not talking about it is it feels very much like telling tales out of school in a way that I like i just don't want to do do you know what i mean like it wasn't uh like put it this way when i wrote the thing in the newsletter about um the eisners mm-hmm. i felt like i was telling tales out of school and like had a lot of anxiety about putting that in the newsletter but also felt like i was telling tales out of school for a reason mm-hmm. right straighting this point i'm trying to make right no exactly that is literally just gossip yes right right and I that's I don't want to share that gossip. Yes, no, which is absolutely one hundred percent 
more than you're right. And I completely, in that sense, sort of apologize for bringing it up. Like I said, I really had that moment of like, I give it 20% odds that Graham has forgotten that happened. So, which, oh, no, again, no, no, much me, more the bigger I've person. N- I've never forgotten that happened. <laughs> <laughs> that, to this day, remains maybe the most surreal experience I've ever had at a comic book convention. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. And I've had some surreal experiences at a comic book convention. That is true. You definitely have, yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and that still is probably one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had at a comic book convention. Mm. Uh, not for the threat of physical violence that's happened other times but for the circumstances surrounding it wow wow can we talk Uh, about one of the other times you're threatened with physical violence you're just never going to tell these stories I've never going to tell these stories wow I have to say that I should edit out of the podcast everyone's like wow I've been listening to this goddamn podcast for years now and Graham's not going to spill the good stuff, and instead we got to just listen to mouthy guy with his mouthy opinions about mouthy comics that we all stopped reading mouthy decades ago. Fabulous. Wow. Or okay, manga. Who's Yay. Punch, who's threatened to punch you, Jeff? Uh, let me see. Who is threatened to punch me? Well, I've told you the Pierce Brosnan story, and I think I've said it on the podcast. I'm not uh, sure you have. Haven't I? I'm pretty sure I have said <laughs> the Brosnan. I'm really? sure. I, I was going to say, I'm sure I'd remember that Pierce Brosnan tried to punch you, sorry. And then I was like, I wouldn't. My memory's for shit. <laughs> well, you know, but you know the story that I'm talking about, right? I don't. You don't? Oh, okay. So. But again, you might have told me and I've just forgotten. Cause again, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you have. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. I think that's the case. So let me see. There's, there's, yeah. Pierce Brosnan almost cost me my job. Uh. I had to ask the, what's his name, the lead dude from Jefferson Airplane to leave the bar because he lit up a joint, which is in the bar that he smoked joints in and therefore he thought was ridiculous. That was kind of more personally humiliating. I'm trying to think, you know. Was it personally humiliating because you're talking to the guy from Jefferson Airplane? Ugh. So so Jefferson Airplane had this like huge like in nineteen uh, well it must have been like nineteen. I'm, I'm literally 80. just making jokes about Jefferson Airplane existing. No, I I know exactly. Yeah, no, it it, it you, there's multiple layers on which you could make fun of me. I was a doorman at a bar in college, and that's ridiculous enough. And I, the bar that I was at used to be one of the hot spots for music back in San Francisco under its original name. It used to be The Matrix uh, back in the 60s. And ironically enough, after Gavin Newsom's drink ups group um, bought the bar and rebranded it The Matrix once again, and then, I don't know, I think, I don't know if it still became that. That was after my time. But during the time that I was at, it was a completely sort of different place. And so all the more surprising when Jefferson... Starship slash airplane released their sort of 20th anniversary greatest hits collection. They were going to have a huge PR event at this bar. And because it was the bar that they played in and Janis Joplin had played in and blah, 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 blah. So Jefferson Airplane, everyone shows up, I think, except Grace Slick. And the lead guy is holding court. And then lights up a joint, and then my boss is like, you got to tell that dude 
to put out the joint or we got to kick him out. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm like 20 years old. Why, why are you? Why? And I don't, you know, you think I'm 21, but I'm not. I'm like even underage working in this bar and I shouldn't be working here. Why do I have to tell the supposed rock celebrity that they have to leave? And it's, he's like, because I'm your boss and I'm telling you to do it. So I had to be like, okay, sir, Mr. Paul, I can't remember your last name for the life of me. And he was like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? And so like any like any fucking baby boomer in 1988, he like defiantly lit up the, the joint with like a huge eye roll. And then we, you know, I was like, sir, I'm sorry, you're going to have to leave. And, you know, and of course, I th- I'm sure looking back, like ever, probably everyone was hoping that this was going to amount to a ridiculous gob of free publicity. But the fact of the matter is everyone remembered that those fuckers wrote, we built this city on rock and roll and therefore no one should ever listen to their music again. So, um, which more or less, uh, it's, sadly, Paul Cantner can't look back Kantner. Uh, on it. Cause, cause he died when, uh, he died in 2016. Huh? See, so he, see, so, so this is what I'm saying, Graham. I didn't even know the guy died and I'm here telling stories and you're like, Oh, can't, yeah, it's can't tell stories about people who threatened to punch me. People. And I'm like, Ooh, tell me more it, about the people it, who threatened to punch you. The industry I'm still working in. It's so strange. <sighs> yeah, it's true. It is totally true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't, I don't know. Ask you to edit all that. Don't make me ask you to edit all that. I won't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Wait, are you? Are you saying that I have to edit all this out? No, no, I think not. this is still comedy gold at this point. But no, I, I'm not. But I'm just saying, I'm not going to tell. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I'm like, meanwhile, I'm busy. Like, I'm like, well, let's see. There were all the celebrities. I have to say, I have to say. It wasn't like he threatened to punch me, but uh, Elvis Costello was kind of a rude dick. Uh, to me on the phone <laughs> and i do have to say that kind of uh cooled my ardor for his uh work considerably like part of me is like well i shouldn't be surprised it's elvis costello but at the same time i was like no like no fuck this guy so um yeah i think i think i'm trying to think that i feel like that's a that's kind of a big one I suppose like i'm like yeah i know i see this is it i i'm like there's tons of great gossip out there graham i'll just spend all my time gossiping about what happened to me in west hollywood um and and you can um you know your career is safe my career i mean such as it is it would be ruined but what what would it be it would be like i was i was in an elevator with mike myers i I was thinking about the number of people that I stared at so um, indiscreetly that they actually acknowledged me, which I think looking back on, because, you know, I'm old enough that I just find that humiliating, like kind of like, oh, God, like I stared at Heavy D from Heavy D at the boys so hard that he looked at me and went, yo, what's up? You know, I'm like, ah, it was acknowledged by Heavy D because I was looking like an idiot that also happened with a pre-Funky Bunch uh, Mark Wahlberg, um, too, as well. He was like, yo, what's up? I'm like, <laughs> I love Heavy D and Heavy D and the boys. For some reason, that that's, that makes me very happy. I was once at a San Diego in an elevator with um, Robert Carlyle when mm. he was doing whatever the fairy tale show was called. I can't remember. Once upon a time, is that what it was called? Uh, yeah. No, it mm-hmm. wasn't. It wasn't that. It was oh, no, it was the other one. 
No, but it was when he was doing um, Stargate Universe. Wow. Robert Carlyle did uh, Stargate Universe? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Man. Have you never seen Stargate Universe? Stargate mm-hmm. Universe is what happens when Stargate wants to be Battlestar Galactica. Oof. That's a bad it's, choice. It's two seasons of, like, I think I liked it at the time, but I've never been able to find it to watch it again, if that makes sense. <laughs> that, that's a good sign. I don't, know, I, don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm crazy or not, because right. it might just be terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, what I was going to say is I, I remember taking uh, an elevator with him and his entourage and desperately trying not to look at him mm-hmm. because I was convinced that if if our eyes met, I would have to tell him that I thought he was great in train spotting and that he was wasting his time in American television. Right. But I also had the feeling that if our eyes met, he would inherently know I was Scottish. See, and that's where I thought you were going with that. Like, oh, right, right. That would be great, the Scotty sense. Uh, 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 that Has that ever happened to you, though? Have you ever looked at another person and they're like, oh, you're Scottish? Uh, no, no, I, it's, it's, I've told you this before, in America, everyone, like, automatically assumes that I'm some other, I, that I, because I have an accent, because the accent's gone weird, because I've been here for so long, yep. um, that I'm uh, Irish or Australian. Yeah, the Australian no, no one ever, no one ever gets Scottish, ever. Right, right. Well, and I just meant other Scottish people. Again, other, because I'm sure you've been around other Scottish celebrities besides Robert Carlyle, right? Well, I say uh, that. I, but, like, for example, Grant Morrison didn't know you were Scottish before you started talking to him. And then he was like, oh, yeah, you're Scottish. No, he and... did, though, cause it was, but it was one of those things where he was like, like your name is Scottish. Mm. Which, mm. sure, it is. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, right. my name is very Scottish. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah no, it, it's – I can't think of anything else where, like, someone has just looked at me and went, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. You look Scottish. I th- do I look Scottish? Hmm. No, no, no. I just, I for whatever reason, when you're telling that story about Robert Carlyle, I'm like, oh shit! Like for whatever reason, I'm like, oh, you guys would both know, like you know. And I don't know why. I just sort of like, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But no, I don't think that there's really, you know, you're 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 Is there so a you, Graham. About me? I Is there see. A that's it. I would. I don't know. I really, honestly, don't know. I mean, you know, like it's that's what I'm saying is like you, you're arguably the Scotsman I know the best. And so technically all the rest of them seem a little off to me, you know, I, but what's very funny to me is you said arguably and I was like, who the fuck have you been talking to? This is more than me. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know. It's true. Arguably, I'm always leaving myself a little bit of wiggle room, Graham, in case it turns out like my dad was Scottish and no one told us. I would say I'd like to think you know, but with your family, honestly, <laughs> it's totally true. It's 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 a little bit better than zero percent odds. Wow, I got to tell you, we're doing a great job. We're, this is this is I'm loving this conversation but I am impressed at how far afield we have gone in part because you're like hey, I'm I'm like I feel like there's got to be some San Diego Comic-Con story where like somebody threatened to punch me I would almost think the number of people honestly I you to said that in the first place head. I went was the time you and I went to shit I can't even remember what party we went to like maybe the one San Diego we were both at yeah mm-hmm. um, 
and you and Ed Brubaker got in a conversation for like the longest time. <laughs> he he was he was really happy to see you. There's no threatening to punch you. No, no, exactly, exactly. He was so happy to see. Yeah, yeah. That was that was actually very lovely. Seeing seeing Ed super incredibly happy and stoked to be at San Diego was was just a delight. You know. Um, I, I'm trying to think of other times where people threaten to punch me. No one's threatened physical violence. People have been really pissed to see me. Oh. And like you know, almost got in fights with me. But like I say I think getting fights with me is if I was fighting back. Well yeah. But you know I mean, mean like you know, people people have you know, gotten really upset to see me, but no one's ever threatened physical violence apart from apart mm-hmm. from that one time. Huh. Okay. Well, and even good. then it wasn't even really even then that wasn't actually a threat of physical violence. That's kind of what you that said. Was, that yeah. was like sheer intimidation. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Um Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm trying to think. I can remember. I mean the Jeff one Johns I... wrote me a mean letter, but I don't think that really counts. <laughs> and we know that like my fraction hates me. Oh There's right. Like... Yeah, but you guys have never, like, there's never been the, you guys haven't even scowled at one another across a room, No, it's, right? it's always been, like, it's always been, like, mutual contact stuff, like, informed me of it. Yeah, right, right. Which, yeah. which to this day, like, is still amusing and horrifying in equal measure. Right. Um, there was one time at a, a Comic-Con, a San Diego Comic-Con, that, um... I realized that shit was it Frank Miller? I think it was Frank Miller. Like was just scowling at me, like aggressively, <laughs> like scowling at me. Wow! Uh, and I was genuinely too scared to find out what that was about, and just like left the thing I was at. Oh, oh! I've got a good one in that regard, and this was this is one that I'm not necessarily sure about. Because it's possible that my memory has manufactured it. But first off, I, I'd like to think that Frank Miller has resting scowl face. So I, I don't well, know. Well, yeah, it was one of those things where, like, I've literally spoken to Frank Miller, like, maybe once. Mm-hmm. So if he was scowling at me, like, I did nothing. Right. Genuinely, I did nothing. Like, I might just li- literally have looked upsetting to him at that point. Right. As opposed right. to, like, he, he disliked me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think he just didn't like the look of me, which you know. To be fair, I don't like the look of me. That's fine. What? Oh, I that's terrible. That. I, uh, I, I'm you. just saying, like I, you know, I, I, I understand Frank. Anyway, mm. what's your? Mm-hmm. So my story, and like I said, it's possible that this memory may be manufactured, but I do not think that it is so. I think it's literally one of those things where something happened. I never thought about it again. And then I read something and I was like, oh shit. So what happened was, um, I, I, I will actually do the oh shit moment, which is to say, um, I was reading James Elroy's second semi memoir. Like he did a first memoir that was about the death of his mother and his life up to that point and then he did another memoir that um sort of covered his years uh i don't know up to the time he got married and up to the time where his marriage fell apart and um you know elroy is such a 
sort of complicated character for me because I genuinely loved his books. But at a certain point, I was like, you know, kind of like he's sort of like, ah, come off like I'm a big jerk, but I'm just a big softy and I'm not a big racist dick. I'm just a guy who likes feeling like you should think I'm a big racist dick because that's the people that I write about. But I'm not a big racist dick. And then you read you know, again, around the time of his second memoir and also some of the women who he had been with stepping forward, it was like, oh, James Elroy is a big racist dick. That's a bummer. Anywho, certain amount of time being obsessed with Elroy. And like from, you know, from way back when, around around the time Heavy D of uh, Heavy D and the Boys when yo, what's up? I was probably reading like my first uh, Elroy novel, you know? And so reading this latest second memoir, he talks about the fact that he ends up meeting and taking up with a woman who lives, who lives, lived, I think, and probably still lives in Bernal Heights. And so he spent a lot of time in San Francisco. And this is the other thing about Elroy. He's always like, I'm attracted to those wild bohemian chicks, those, those chicks who smoke grass, those chicks who shoot the wolf eyes across the room at the ding dang man, you know? And, but he, you know, while he himself is Mr. Sober uptight, I just, all I care about is listening to Beethoven and writing my, my novels, you know, sort of thing. So he's like, yeah, so I was in Bernal Heights. I was in San Francisco, this place I detested for this woman that I loved. And we would walk around the hill, you know, top of the hill, like as, as people walk their dogs and, you know, argued about politics and shit. And I was like, oh, fuck. So the oh, fuck moment was there was a cafe across from, I want to say across from my apartment is not technically correct down at the end of the block and then across the street there was a cafe that was closed for a long time reopened blah 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 at the time it was open my wife and i Edie and i were in the cafe so that she could get her coffee fix at like two in the afternoon and there it was always a sleepy dead little thing and there were two people sitting at a table and this very neatly groomed guy with like a little semi-Hitler-esque mustache and glasses and like, you know, neatly combed hair was sitting there talking to a woman. And I looked at him and I did the fucking absolute indiscreet staring thing that I do. And I had that moment of like, oh, oh, he looks familiar. Wait a minute wait, is that James Elroy? What would James Elroy be doing in a cafe across the street from my house? Is that, is that Elroy? And he looked, glanced over at me and saw me looking at him and his face contorted into what I can only say was like a 100% perfectly conveyed, if you say anything, I will fucking kill you. Like, just just kind of a one second don't you fucking dare like pure frightening shittiness and i gotta say like elroy like any good you know alcoholic that still is fucked up with his issues like you know obsessive about everything obsessively still works out so he he could have fucking disassembled me like a lego set and so I literally was like, 
like like all but jumped when he gave me the mean mugging of a lifetime. Um and then I and I never told Eddie about it. I never told anyone about it. I never thought about it again. And then I read that book and I was like, oh, oh right, James Elroy threatened to kill me with his eyes. So there you go, Graham. That's it. I finally remembered that story. I, I wish I hadn't had to mute because I was coughing because I would have thanked you much earlier. <laughs> it's, it, it's an amazing story. This has been the weirdest podcast we've done in a while. Yeah, it is true. And that's our possibly saying something. But yeah, yeah, agreed. Especially considering the last podcast, I basically said like three words after the 20 minute mark. I know. And... I still feel terrible about that. At one point, for real, was feeling so sick that I left the room without anyone noticing. Oh, man. Yeah. So, so yeah, this is a weirder podcast. (laughs) Well, and it says something that I was like in the back of my head is like, I'm going to get Graham McMillan to talk. Graham McMillan's going to tell his stories. And, of course, Graham's like, no. I mean – Admittedly, I tried to bring story. up the one story that you don't want to talk about. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I need to I need to choose my targets better. But uh, yes, so I mean, I don't know, I don't know where we can go from there, Graham. Comics, I, San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, San Diego is a while away? Question mark. Is it? Um, when is it? What is it? Uh, San Diego is like two months away. Oh, is it in August this year? I, I, no, at this point, I guess it's a month and a half. It's the very end of July this year. Oh, okay. Right, right. Which may have been... Um, yeah. Okay. What? Which may have been what? I'm sorry. I was going to say the year slash two years that we were we were at San Diego together. But I think one of those... Was it two was years? It, yeah. Yeah, it was two years. It was. Well, I mean, how do I put it? There was the first year where it was literally me, like, sleeping on the cot or the yeah, floor could, or whatever yes. it was and doing the oh, stuff. Oh, that's true. Right. There was another year where we were both in different hotels, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I did something like I hit San Diego three years, maybe even four years in a row. But, like, by the fourth year, it was literally, like, I flew in on Sunday night and I flew out on yeah no i i remember that right there was a year where you basically were there for like maybe two minutes yeah because the hotel situation was insane it literally was insane there was no way i was going to spend it's, it's 600, Jeff, it's worth $800 dollars a night oh i'm sure yeah. i'm sure it's just horrible that's horrible i still but. remember god at this point it's got to be at least four years ago Mm-hmm. I guess maybe more because because Senegal hasn't even happened for two years. Um, there was one year where I showed up and the hotel that had been booked for me by the outlet I was covering for didn't actually have any record of my my oh, right. reservation. And so I remember I got there and like San Diego was opening that night, mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't have anywhere to stay. Mm-hmm. I don't have anywhere to sleep. I'm fucked. Yeah, <laughs> because I can't. Like, there's no way I'm going to find somewhere for anything that's affordable. Mm-hmm. And then I found something that was, like, maybe the cheapest I've ever had a San Diego hotel. Amazing. And I was like, I should leave it to the last minute every year. <laughs> <laughs> I should just fly into town and just hope for the best. That's clearly the way to do it. I um, have... It was, like, a reasonably local hotel as well. It was one of those things where they must have had a cancellation or something. Well, see, that's it. They had a cancellation or maybe a block of cancellations, and they're like, fuck, we'll never find anyone now. And then and yeah. you were like, hello. But no, I, I, I remember, like, I remember just the terror 
yeah, going that's... to check in. And then being like, no? Wow. Like, what are you talking about? And me calling my editor and being like, yeah, I just tried to check in. And, and they said that they have no record of the reservation. And the editor being like, that's weird. Let me call you back. Just wait in the in the foyer. Mm-hmm. And then they call back. I'm like, yeah, so apparently someone canceled the, the, the uh, reservation. Didn't tell me. Wow. And I was like, shit, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, just, just genuine panic. Genuine. Yeah, that's a nightmare. Because mm. I have to be at the show, mm-hmm. but I also might not actually be able to afford to stay in the city. Yeah, right. Like, Which what is, is, like, right. do I do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, so that's that's part of the thing I have to say. I just I'm like no, I I, rem- I remember I remember the year I specifically remember the years that you were staying in the same room as me. Right, obviously. exactly. Well, yeah, um, which is but that, I keep I keep for some reason thinking that was like the one year we did San Diego together. But you're right, we did it like maybe two years, if not maybe three. Yeah, but we'll like, see, that's it. You're like yeah. it was basically you coming in, you know, and leaving in the same day. Right. Right. Exactly. So, so over time, it's yeah. Sorry, what's that? I was going to say the first couple of San Diego's I did, I basically came in and left in the same day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The first San San Diego I ever did was because I was on a comics journalism panel, and I literally flew in in the morning of the panel and left right after the panel. Cool, Mister. Wow. Well, I had had a day job. (laughs) Holy shit. Uh, how times have changed for you, Graham McMillan. Right? My goodness, I, so yeah. Literally, I was like, well, I, could, I guess I can take this one day off. Because, like, it's a big deal. As I've never been invited on a panel before. Right, right. You know, and I didn't see any of the convention. Like, wow. I literally had time to go to the panel and then leave. I didn't see any of the convention. That's amazing. And so the next year, I think the next year, maybe two years after that, I went again. And I remember just being like, shit, this was downstairs the entire time. <laughs> I like, was genuinely shocked. Right, right. Really was like, this, this is nuts. Because uh, for people who have never been to, to San Diego Comic-Con, all the, the panels are on the second floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the second floor is also where you, you get your badge. Uh, if you're like press or if you're, you're a guest. Mm. And so you literally can just not see the, the show floor at all. Right, right. Like you can 100% avoid the show floor entirely. Mm. Um, and so I had no idea what the show floor was like at all mm. until that second time I went. And I was like, fuck, this is really big. <laughs> <laughs> and then then came the years. The I have twenty minutes to cross this floor in order to make it from one place to the next years. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the the years of of just like running. Yeah, I mean, this year I am I am I believe going, mm-hmm. uh, and I I'm going as uh, to work it for Popverse for for uh, the new Chris Arant site for Repop, mm-hmm. uh, and as part of that deal, like I'll be doing panel coverage again. Mm. Like like proper like live mm-hmm. blogs and stuff, panels, which I've not done in a few years either. Because when I did it for for THR, like I'd do a write up of the panel afterwards, but I wouldn't be doing live blog. Wow. Um, and part of, part of me is like, oh shit! Like I've kind of forgotten what that's like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And again, it's it's been it's been two years 
since I've been to it's been two years since San Diego's happened. Mm. Um, like it's, okay, so slight diversion. Uh, I went to the movies this week. Ooh, I went to see Crimes of the Future. Ah, uh, um, of course you did. And it's the first time I've been in a movie theater. Say in two years, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jeff, let me tell you, I was so uncomfortable the entire time. <laughs> and not, not just because oh, it was no. crimes of the future. Yeah, right. Okay, here's what makes if, like me, you are like a low-level hypochondriac and you're really nervous about going into a crowded space again, mm-hmm. especially a crowded space where people are not wearing masks. Here's how you make it worse. Mm-hmm. You end up in what is actually a pretty small theater mm-hmm. surrounded by people who aren't wearing masks and the guy right next to you spends the entire film coughing. Oh, Jesus. God, that sounds like horrible. I was so uncomfortable that I kind of want to turn to him and be like, you have to leave. Yeah. Right. Oh, oh. wow. That's uh that's uh that sounds, that does sound unpleasant. I have not, I don't know when I will go back to the theater. I really don't know. Like I, I've got, I've got to be honest. Like we went to see it because, like Chloe is a, of like, course, like a big Cronenberg fan. Yeah. Um. But I left going. I don't need to go back to the movie theater anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like nope. That that was enough of an uncomfortable experience for me that I I cannot see myself going. That movie's worth it. Mm. That's so true. Mm-hmm. If, if I went to like a matinee showing, and I could guarantee that I was going to have like seats on the either side of me open, oh, right? Maybe. Well, I think I but told you I, 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 I would to something as busy as that again. I I had a friend who saw. I mean, I had several people who'd seen everything everywhere all at once, and were like, "You've got to go. It's worth seeing it in the theater. It really is." And I'm like, Ugh. and one of them was like, "Hey, here's here's my tip." Go to a matinee show and basically like it's you and Edie. And since matinees are basically half price, you buy and you have to pick out your seats in advance Buy the seats on either side of you. So yeah, you're I, sitting I side by side work like that here. Oh, do they not have re- it's not all reserved seating? I mean, they, they do some some theaters do. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what I was meeting is also like I don't think matinees here are specifically like inherently cheaper either. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I know what you mean. There are select. I was like, there. there's usually, like, the first morning showing on, like, a Friday. You know, that kind of thing. Stuff where I don't even, like, since freelancers are, like, some of the hardest working people alive, they're like, I don't have time to do that nonsense. That's for people with pain jobs who can, like pretend to feign a stomach illness and, you know, get paid time off and then go to the movies. I, yeah, I don't know. I, but that being said, I was like, Oh, that's a great tip. And then I was like, I, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Yeah. I just, it's weird. It's, it's, uh, I think, were we talking about this last week off air? Like in the conversation, like just me kind of being like, yeah, I'm starting to realize how f- fucked up this thing pandemic life has made me like probably for life like i don't have i don't have kids that i know of and Edie and i are never going to have kids so there's never going to be that thing of like yeah i remember my dad and i remember the fact that he never took he, he always masked up in public 
And they were like, oh, during the pandemic? They're like, no, no, even after the great cure of 2025, like, just for the rest of his life, he wouldn't go in a place. It, it, unless they were, unless it was a restaurant, he wasn't going into a place with more than 20 people in it ever again. Ever again. See, and I'm like, a restaurant, though, Jesus. <laughs> I know. I live dangerously. And part of it's like, the food's good, I'm willing to risk it. Although, I'm a, I'm a little antsier. I don't know, for some reason, I'm like, uh, more or less people in restaurants still, I don't know. But everything else, I'm like, yeah, the social contract for me is just... It's it's just not there anymore. Like I really don't. I I I don't know. So that's a thing for me. Wait, like, we should just I, say like so going going to a convention again. It suddenly feels yeah, like, honestly, like a very surreal experience. Right. Because right. I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying conventions that don't feature the most hygienic people on the planet normally. Right. No. Exactly. Con Crud was uh, such a major deal before yeah. this. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there is an element of. Well, we'll see. I I have been cynically waiting for the everyone who went to Star Wars Celebration now has COVID mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. break. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm just I'm just waiting for it. Mm-hmm. But maybe you know, maybe it won't happen. Maybe maybe I'm I'm I am just being like super paranoid in a way. And and San Diego has a mask policy. Mm-hmm. You've got to be vaccinated and you've got to wear a mask. Oh. That's actually pretty great. You know, so, so that's good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I, I like, I I am nervous. I am nervous. It, it Arguably even more after that theater experience. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm just oh. like, yeah, I like, I felt uncomfortable for the entire hour and a half of that film. Yeah. I really get it. And of course, to me, it's like, because, because these people aren't masking. Because that person is coughing. And that it's kind of my weird thing. Like, maybe I should get over this sort of the same way about driving. You know, like, you drive and it's like, you know, kind of like the whole, like, you're only as safe as the unsafest person on the road. And that's not entirely true, right? You know, there's chance, there's factors, you're dri- you know, depending on what you drive, depending on how defensively you drive. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's funny, you... The restaurant thing, like, I got together with, I want to say, a friend of the podcast, Brian Hibbs. It's ironic. I don't think he actually listens. But in a way, uh, in 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 different grandfather of the podcast, Brian Hibbs, um, he and I got together for lunch on uh, Memorial Day. And I had booked uh, the restaurant in advance. And there were all these crazy options, like, and I'd never been there before. And it was like, do you want inside? Do you want the patio table? Or do you want the parklet? And I'm like, mm, I think I'll take, I think, ooh, parklet or patio table? Shit, which one? And so I'm like, well, patio table, patio table, the patio. And they're like, sit on our patio out back. I'm like, oh, perfect. Okay, it's a big open pat. It's, I want to sit outside in the open air. So Hips and I show up, of course, as is always the case when you have to book this reservation through a bullshit app in advance, they had no record of it. And they're like, Oh, we can't find it. But they managed to get us seated and they managed to get us seated in the back. And the patio was completely tiny and mostly hemmed in and barely open air. And all the tables are small. Hibs and I are touching knees. We're both unmasked. Everyone's unmasked in there. And I'm like, I'm fucking going to get COVID from this, aren't I? And, I mean, knock on wood, it's 
been five days. I don't think I have it in any way that I can tell. There's nothing about me that's different. Maybe I'm asymptomatic. But I was just like, oh, this sucks. Like, because it was that thing of like, it is that weird, like, are you not going to go anywhere new ever in your life, Jeff, unless you, like, map it out in, like, Google? And here's the weird thing. I'm not even really super worried about having COVID, which, ironically enough, is one of the reasons why I'm really worried about it. Because I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, it's it's only because I'm this indifferent to it that I'm absolutely going to catch it. So I've really got to take precautions. I'm not quite sure how my brain is handling that kind of gymnastics. But yeah, no, I mean, part of me is like, I'm glad that San Diego is being responsible, but there is part of me like you where I'm like, yeah, they might cancel again. Like, again, if people come out of Star Wars Celebration, because here in the Bay Area, like cases are skyrocketing. I felt like an idiot for going into that restaurant because, you know, it's just, you know, people are, saying like well part of the reason why covid infections are skyrocketing is because the bay area kept itself so protected for so long i'm like well then why did we stop like uh, anyway anyway that's the thing right it's it's, it is the thing of like the people who are who were relatively controlling it Mm-hmm. Like at some point, just give up. Everyone just give up. We have spent um, going back to nine year old for a second, and this might be a good way of like like leading into the end of the show, because we're we're probably going to be approaching two hours soon. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We get emails every every day from from the nine year old school saying mm-hmm. X number of people have COVID, right? And it's just right. been going up every right. day. Mm-hmm. And what's funny, and when I say funny, I mean in like the grim sense, not the actually amusing sense, mm-hmm. is like I know for a fact the numbers are massively underreported. Mm. Like the other day, it turned out that one of the nine-year-old's friend's little brother's class is basically entirely out with COVID because there was a birthday party. Oh, Jesus. Right. And the birthday party was like, it was, a, you know, what we used to call a super spreader event in the olden days, the olden days of last year. Right. Um, and so basically every kid who went to this fucking party got it. Mm. Right. And I find this out from like, a, you know, one of the other kids in their classes, um, parents. Mm-hmm. And they're like, have you heard about so-and-so? So-and-so has COVID because of this birthday party. And that means, you know nine-year-old's friend mm-hmm. also has COVID. <laughs> you know, the guy that he has lunch with and takes his mask off to have lunch with and plays with right. every day yeah. has yeah. COVID. And I was like, fuck. Okay, mm-hmm. fuck. Like, that's really bad news. We'll test him, the whole thing. But like an entire class out, that's that's really bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and they, they, that afternoon, the email arrived from school, and they're like, seven kids are out with COVID," and I'm like, "You're fucking lying! <laughs> <laughs> You're fucking lying!" Like, I know it's, I know because it's an entire class that mm. it's at least like thirty. Mm. Jesus, you know. As I, yeah, you're saying seven, and it turns out they're saying seven because it's literally 
which parents have reported to the school that their exactly kid is Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. And I get to see, because I drop them off in the morning, I get to mm-hmm. see, honestly, how quiet it's gotten. Mm. Like, it's legitimately maybe a quarter of the number of kids who are being dropped off now. <sighs> From what it was, you know, just like a month or so ago. Wow. Like, it's wow. dramatically less. Mm. And and it's because numbers are spiking, right? It's because people just stopped giving a shit. Right. Right. Yeah. And numbers are spiking. And I don't know how you convince everyone that the pandemic is still happening. Never mind the fact that, like, cases are skyrocketing. Like, right? more people are getting COVID now than were when it started. Right. Yeah. No, and exactly. Like, yeah, moved on. What's amazing is the number of times I've caught myself talking about, you know, post-pandemic. And I'm like, the pandemic is not over. It's just, you know, kind of, it almost feels like, yeah, people worrying about the pandemic is largely over. And I'm like, but that's not, that's not the same thing at all. That's not nearly the same thing at all. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's kind of screwed. Sorry, everyone. What a roller coaster of a podcast. Um, yeah. I, 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 again, <laughs> again, for for the second podcast in a row, I still have not gotten a chance to talk about Star Trek. Oh, which shit. I even said, like, podcasts ago that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, the please. Version of well, this is good. Is Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk, I, talk about it at length. It, like, no, I'm not. I'm literally going to do it. Because, I, again, I don't want to be podcasting after 10 o'clock. <laughs> Dude, um, it's, it's, that's 20 minutes I, away. I, you, I, I know. Cut loose. Foot loose. Everybody. Something, something. Um, Foot loose. Oh, shit. I'm going to have to look up the lyrics of Foot Loose. Loose, foot loose. Everybody cut loose. Take off your your summer shoes? No, kick off your Sunday shoes. Oh, kick off your Sunday shoes. Right, because it's a religious Uh, term. Loose, foot loose. Kick off your Sunday shoes. Please, Louise, pull me off my knees. Thanks, Google. Um, Jack, get back. Come on before we crack. Lose your blues. Everybody cut foot loose. Thank you. Uh, There you go. He did that and Danger Zone. It's kind of amazing, that Kenny Loggins. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that Kenny Loggins. That Kenny Loggins, Uh, I think. Kenny Loggins, according to Google, performs country music, R&B slash soul, indie slash alternative, children's music, pop, and rock. In Oof. this economy? Star Trek. <laughs> um, okay, very short version. Star Trek Strange New Worlds is amazing. Mm. Uh, as someone who loves the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and honestly like has a lot of time for, you know, Voyager and even Enterprise, which is a steam pile of shit, and thinks that like there's been some good discovery. I think that Lord X is great. I think that the Lord X animated series is really really fun. And um, mm-hmm. Stranger Worlds is probably my favorite Star Trek in decades. Wow! Um, in large part because it really is just like the like hewing entirely to the Star Trek formula and showing that Star Trek formula still has a lot of fucking juice left in it. Um, this week's I'm episode. This week's episode was a comedy episode. Star Trek does comedy episodes. Remember, Jeff? Yes. Um, where the plot is that on shore leave, wacky shit happens, oh, and in yeah. particular, Spock is having trouble with his fiance because, like, it is, it, Stranger Worlds is the Pike crew, which Spock is a member of. 
Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, Spock is engaged because because whatever the episode is where Spock and, uh, goes back and and Tpring is there, and they're like, you know, we we were supposed to be married. Like, so Spock's engaged in this in this era, and his fiance is like, you basically are spending too much time working. We're growing apart, and so Spock goes, I will prove to you that I am I am the guy you want to marry, that I have not changed. We will do a Vulcan ceremony where we will feel each other's emotions. And instead, there's a fucking body swap episode. Wow. Wow. Right? And mm-hmm. it's a body swap where Spock's fiancé in Spock's body has to lead negotiations with an alien race that will only talk to Spock. That, that sounds seriously old school Trek. That sounds great right? to me. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, you know, there's other shit happening with with the shore leave people, and because number one and the security chief are so stick in the mud that they don't want to leave the ship, they mm-hmm. don't want shore leave. They're just going to stay there and like check out duty rosters. But then the the ensigns are like, yeah, but you're like everyone makes fun of you because you're you're so boring, and they play a game called Enterprise Bingo. Uh, wow! And so, number one decides that she's going to play Enterprise Bingo as well. Like it's old school Trek. It's literally wow. just old school Trek. Um, and shamelessly so. The episode mm-hmm. before that was a submarine show, where the Enterprise and the Gorn end up inside a gas giant where they can't use their sensors, but they're having a standoff. Like literally original series plots. Jesus, I want you know, this we, so badly. We're, we're like two seconds away from like a, like a shuttle crashes. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right, I right. I'm not saying that as criticism at all. It's glorious. It's genuinely right. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Because, A, that stuff really does have juice left in it. Like, mm-hmm. it works. The episodic format works. And, and works surprisingly well. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of surprised how... Well, they basically do the idea of like, no, our story is going to be done in forty minutes, mm-hmm. um, and then there's an A plot and a B plot, like like Star Trek. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, where it succeeds in quote unquote being contemporary is the characterization and the characters. Um, Anson Mount, I think that's his name. I might be getting his name wrong. Is a fucking great Pike and are might genuinely be my favorite Star Trek captain at this point. Wow! Uh, just because he is again uh, simultaneously very flat, very flatly mm-hmm. written, mm-hmm. but Mount is just fucking charismatic. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so you, you basically have a story of a guy who, because of like Trek continuity, but also particularly like Discovery continuity, because this theoretically is a spinoff of Discovery. Mm-hmm. Um. This is Pike who has seen his future and so knows what's going to happen to him. Mm. Right? So he knows Oof. the chair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the first like episode, the first couple of episodes of the show are basically him being like, I don't want to know if I want to be a captain. You mm-hmm. know, maybe maybe, maybe if I just don't do the thing, I'm not going to end up there. But mm-hmm. also, how good captain can I be if I know this is waiting for me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they basically tie it off after two episodes. And then after that, he just gets to be like a guy who loves his job and is very confident in his crew being good at their jobs. And that's it. And you get Mount just being like happy. Huh. Do you know what I mean? Like 
in the submarine episode, you, he's basically just going, yeah, this is impossible, but you're all the best people in Starfleet, and we're all very good at our jobs, so I know we're going to get out of this. Wow. Like, there, there's no... The fate of the cosmos depends on this. There's, there's no... Right. You know, my brother sees me dying. None of that. It's literally a guy who is like, you're very good at what you do. Like he literally says to the to the, the navigator, the Sulu of the show, you know, I've heard you're the best pilot in Starfleet. Time to show it. <laughs> and she's like, okay, so we're just flying towards certain death. That sounds like fun. Let's go. And that's the attitude of the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's people who are good at their jobs being good at their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out I fucking love that shit. Yeah. Um, that like the first few episodes that I I really like I really genuinely am loving it. I think it's a, a, a not only a very good show, it's a very good show, Star Trek show, and it's Star Trek in a way that the more recent shows haven't been. Like Picard mm-hmm. was a disaster in the second season. Uh, what like the best way to describe Picard's second season for me is it feels like a show that decided what it wanted to do and then COVID happened and they're like, well, we've got less budget and less cast. Let's just do anyway and hope that no one's noticed. No one notices the seams. Wow. And so you had this weird thing. So like, do you know the plot of Picard, the second season? No. Short version. Q comes along and changes history. They have to go back in time to fix history. They go back in time to like two years from now, because of course they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they stay there for like six episodes. <laughs> trying to complete their mission. And you get really like, not only do you get like bad, you know, we're trying to make a political point. And when I say bad, it's because it's really obvious. Mm-hmm. Like one of them gets arrested by ICE. Oh, yeah. Oh, you that's know? so bad. But, but also the plot repeats itself. So, like, mm. one of them gets arrested by ICE, but, like, Picard and another one get arrested by the police. <laughs> like, okay, but, like, we've already seen one of them get arrested. Like, we've done that Who one. gets arrested on the next episode of Picard? Right. Yeah, um, that's great. And, and the idea, and, you know, they, because, they, of course, they do, one of the people they run into is, like, the descendant of the person who created um, Data, played mm. by Brent Spine. Um, mm-hmm. That's a Star Trek continuity. He's also a descendant of the person who creates Khan. Hmm? Yeah, they're the hmm. same family. The person who creates Data and the person who creates Khan oh. are the same. Mm-hmm. In the Star Singh Trek family or something yeah. like that? Yeah, right. Are, are related. Um, and so you get like some sort of weird eugenics plot, which genuinely goes nowhere. But it's meant to tr- make one of these, like, meant to make Brent Spiner's character into, like, the secondary antagonist of the entire season. Mm. But it makes no sense and goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like, genuinely. But again, that takes, like, five episodes to do. There's a retcon about, like, Picard's childhood trauma that he's been suppressing because maybe he was responsible for his mother's suicide. Oh, God. Yeah, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's a fucking mess. Um, but despite that, I love where it ended <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because it ends by doing what I think is a very Grant Morrison twist in the Borg, which is if you go back in time and you make the Borg uh, a race that rescues people instead of assimilates people, what happens to the Borg? Mm-hmm. Right. What if the Borg becomes a rescue mission? Right. Right. You no, know, which 
it's really interesting to me. And like the mm-hmm. end of the season, spoilers, but also you shouldn't watch the show, um, is the Borg applies to join the Federation. Because the Borg are now like retroactively like good guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that's interesting to me, but at the same time I had to sit through I think it's eight episodes, maybe it's ten episodes Oof. of just the worst written, like horribly paced, repetitive, heavy handed shit to get there. Mm-hmm. Um I- no, I was just like, I do love the genius of, like you were saying, like, oh, they, they don't have a budget. They don't have the same budget. And it's like, oh, we'll just set it from two years from present day. And I'm like, oh, that's genius, man. Then you can, then you can just pretty much, like, do all sh- sorts of, like, location shooting, you know? You can oh, yeah, have, no, like... For 100%, yeah. it's like, it's downtown Vancouver. Fucking hell, man. That's you know? a, And that's it. Oof. And that's it for, like, the majority of the show. Wow. But also, it's also got the problem that I think is always a really, like, it shows that your writers don't actually know what they're they're doing. Mm -hmm. So they go back in time because they've got to fix history, right? The thing Mm -hmm. they've got to fix in history is that the thing, the one um, element that's been changed is that the person who basically uh, met aliens or found the existence of aliens in space Mm -hmm. um, was Picard's ancestor. Mm. which is mm. just like, no. Yeah, <laughs> right? So many reasons why that's a bad idea. Yeah, that's Not really all, a bad like, idea. Predominantly, like, you've never mentioned it before. Yeah, right? Like, like uh... that's never come up. Is, is you know, doesn't make doesn't make it any more believable now. Right, right. You know, and it's not meant to be a surprise. Mm-hmm. Like, Arch is mm. like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's my great, 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 great grandmother. She found aliens. Ooh. Yeah, oh. Yeah, exactly. It's just bad writing. It's just bad writing. Mm. Mm. You know? Mm. So, yeah, Picard's a mess. But, uh, so, Stranger Worlds is very good and surprisingly good, especially considering other Star Treks. And it made me go, I like Star Trek. Like, I really like Star Trek from a while. I'm going to read the Star Trek Year 5 comic that IDW did. Mm. Which uh, is all available in Hoopla, which is how I read it. But mm. you may or may not know, it's like a, it's not that long. There's like four collections, and that's the entirety of the thing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a tag team of writers. It's a it's a writers room again of, oh shit, I can't remember their names. Um, is it Jackson Lanzig or Colin Lanzig, and Jackson someone? They're they're writing duo who's done a bunch of stuff for DC, and they're 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 writing the new relaunch of Captain America at Marvel right now. Mm. Colin Kelly, Jackson Atlantic. I might be making that name up. Um, mm-hmm. they're, the, they're the showrunners, and Jody Hauser's in there, and Jim McCann's in there as well. Mm. And the, the I, it's literally the last year of the original mission of the Enterprise. Right. Right, so it's Kirk and Spock and all that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like what happened in the last year, which, of course, was never on TV, you know, yada, yada, yada. Right. And it's also great. Hmm. It's just a really good... Uh, Star Trek run that also tries to tell like a big story and um, mm-hmm. tying original Star Trek lore, which is uh, remember Gary Seven? Of course. Yeah, it's what is Gary Seven's deal? Oh, <laughs> it's nice. basically the long-running plot of that mm-hmm. that series, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of great. Which also ties in again 
with fucking Picard. Because guess who makes a cameo in the last episode of Picard? Gary Seven? Will Wheaton. What? Oh, Jesus. Wait, what really? Wow. Yes. And he's like, yes, I travel through time and space trying to make sure history happens when it's supposed to. Maybe you've met some of my friends before, like Gary Seven. Like, it's, it's, uh. <laughs> Wow. That's, wait, yeah. that really did happen, huh? That's funny. Huh. Yes, yes. Yeah. Because it's, it's so, like, weirdly, there was such a, um, when they announced, you know, because I, I had this thing of, like, wow, they're really trying to save Picard, because it was kind of like, yeah, coming in season three, uh, everyone's coming oh, back. It's, it's yeah, because, just everyone. It's because season three's the last season. They announced it. Like, that's that's no one. Picard's mm-hmm. three seasons and done. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So it was and like, so hey, it's... we're bringing everyone, and it was like... Yeah, we're bringing everyone back. And there's no Will Wheaton, although maybe there is going to be now, and they just kept it secret. But Will Wheaton shows up in the last episodes of, of the, the second season. Wow, so also, he shows up in the last watch... second season. Sorry, what's that? Did you watch Picard season one? No. Nope. Okay, Picard season one has... Picard season one plotted, I want to remind everyone, by Michael Chabon, Pulitzer Prize-winning mm-hmm. author Michael Chabon, mm-hmm. um, ends with the dumbest idea ever. Mm-hmm. And it's so dumb that Picard season two, which is a very poorly written uh, story altogether, mm-hmm. does its best to pretend the first season's like climax never happened. Wow, really? That's Picard great. season one ends with Picard dying, mm. and then his soul is placed in the next generation android body by the guy who created Data. Mm. And so Picard is an android from that point on. Mm-hmm. And like as early as episode one of the second season, they're like, yeah, it's so weird. Your body's aging. Mm, this android body's just like a human body, huh? <laughs> yeah. Huh. huh. Yeah. Well, yes. No, I heard enough conflicted things about season one of Picard. I was like, eh. You know, I, I eventually got you know, into next gen, you know, uh, but I was always much more original cast. So all the stuff that you're saying sounds awesome to me. Um, and probably things that I will check out, but the Picard stuff, I'm like, I have a lot of goodwill for those, uh, actors. Uh, honestly, all, everyone, Patrick Stewart, they're all, so many of them are, I think good. Um, But at the same time, I was like, but I've also, you know, I mean, that's the thing. I think I have, maybe because there's just more Star Trek than there is Star Wars. Like, I feel like I've been burned more by Star Trek, but it's really just the fact that I've played the odds more, you know. Also, I haven't really bothered with anything post uh, Rise of Skywalker you know, and honestly, now that I think about it, I'm like, really, Jeff? You're saying out of nine movies, you're saying those nine movies were better than the nine Star Trek movies? That's not true, but I'm sort of like... There's been, like, 11 Star Trek movies. Well, there there you go. See? There you go. Well, I, I was think I say nine because I, I, I meant I everything before the pre-reboot. Yeah. No, right? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and again, it's like... But I'm like, yeah, even if you throw in like, oh, Star Trek Into Darkness, I'm 
I'm going to, it's going to be a hard day for me, Graham, when you're like, you know what I watched the other day, Jeff, that I hated when it came out and really holds up Star Trek Into no, Darkness. No, it, it doesn't, because and... I have, I have rewatched it, it like, <laughs> not recently, but I rewatched it at least in the last few years. Because um, I still like the original, the original, I still like the first film, the first reboot film. Yeah, the first reboot's uh, really, I, I, yeah. I really like the last one, Star Trek Beyond, is that what it's called? I think so, yeah. Like I really like that one as well. But Star yeah, Trek that Star one was Trek. pretty decent as well. It yeah, is is a film that was made. Man, man, they fucked that so badly. Oh, that was just such a bad experience. On the other hand, like I don't remember, was it Star Trek Generations? That movie sucked. Like, oh the... man, all of the Next Generation films are bad, with the exception of First Contact, which is the, the... only one I haven't seen. Oh, it's the only good one. Yes, that's what I keep hearing. It's the only one um, everyone quoted. I'm like, Star Trek um, Insurrection is terrible. So fucking and, bad. And then there's Nemesis, which is terrible in its own way. Oh, fucking awful. That is, yeah, it is awful there, in its own way. 13 Star Trek films? Have there been God 13? Damn, there has. Well, think about it, because there's the six original cast films. Then there's right. Generations, First Contact, Insurrection, and Nemesis. That's four Next Gen films here, ten. Right. And then there's three, three of reboot the, films. Right. Woof. Thirteen movies. Right. And oh, I don't even want to think about like how good they are. And it it may just be like the good Star Trek movies are pretty good, really good ripping little films. Like I've seen yeah. several of them repeatedly, and if I came across them again, I would probably hang out and watch them. But yeah, man, no, for real, especially ones. like the original cast films. Yeah. You know, like if, if Star Trek Six or something comes on, I'm going to watch that. You know, I never took the Six, which is a shame. Like, it was okay. It wasn't great. But, like, you know, it's no two or four. School. Oh, really? Oh, I saw But, like, when I say I saw it in high school, I mean, I saw it as part, like, there was a high school outing to see Star Trek Six. What? Yeah. Wow. That's like, wild. A bunch of us went during the school day. On a school-sponsored trip, the movie okay. to see Star Trek Six. How does that work? I don't what? know. Like thinking about it now, I'm like, how did that even happen? Yeah, right. That's that is amazing. Like, who was the like? Was it was, who was it your who teacher? Was the Trekkie teacher? Yeah. yeah, who was the Trekkie teacher that was like, "This is gonna happen, and I'm not gonna fucking let my job get in the way of this." So I'm taking all the kids to it. Dude. We got to see early. We got to see it before it came out. Wow. What? I don't know. There's there's, there's a story there, but yeah, right. But I I don't know what it was, even though I was mm. there. That sucks. Yeah, that's funny. I that even though you were there. Oh, Graham. Uh, like one of the running themes I was going to say like Star Trek 4 is the one with Jeff Lester in it so that's that's the that's the one that I'm always like oh right like how weird wait is there a character it... called Jeff Lester no no there's not but there's an actor called Jeff Lester and Jeff Lester was in Star Trek 4 so it's, uh, it's I also like to point things. out that every time I think of the TV show Chuck which is not often I've got to say but every yeah, time I do right? I always remember there's a character called Jeff and a character called Lester yep yeah Exactly. Yep. And I, and I do still wonder if, like, there's some weird connection with you. You know, I it, I would love it with the nerd thing. I honestly think chances are good that whoever created the show was actually friends with the other Jeff, the, the Jeff Lester that's the actor that, um, 
that uh that like his like erotic thriller was actually featured on midnight pulp and so i like tweeted that so it's amazing watching him in an erotic thriller it's like oof. it's great <laughs> i showed it to Edie because i'm like oh because the whole thing the whole time i watched it i'm like i, I can't wait because it's going to be one of those things where it's one of those trailers it's going to be jeff lester in the other side of night or whatever it was called it was something that bad but of course they have this trailer and they just he's in every frame of the trailer he's the lead in this movie and then at the end they're like the other side of night a Jesus Sabrisky movie. I don't remember who directed it. It was some schlockmeister who's got a rap. Jesus so, Sabrisky. Yeah. <laughs> I love I that. Jesus I've, I've, en- I've, I've entered my Joe Simon uh, ability of era of uh, verisimilitude with naming. It's like, give me another five years and I'll be in the Ditko era where it's like, yeah, old Bjork Eric. You know? <laughs> Thank I'm you sorry, for finally my, laughing at the my, Ditko joke. My, I was like, no, "Oh I'm fuck, sorry. he's my, gonna." My brain is still stuck in Jesus Zabriskie. Jesus Zabriskie is pretty good for 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 an off that. Who was it? Was it uh, Joseph Lister? Maybe I don't. I don't remember. Anyway, no, Jeff Lister in Star Trek Four. Jeff Lister was in a film starring directly with Joseph Lister. Lister. Yeah, exactly. Playing it's playing called, a guy. That way it's called for real. I, I don't remember. I think so. Hold on. You know what? I'm just looking up IMDb for Jeff Lester. Yeah, Jeff Lester. He's there been he in a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Is what else has he been in? He's also been in Baywatch. Yeah. And Seinfeld. Probably one of his Seinfeld. bigger roles. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He's Seinfeld. He gets one. Mm-hmm. Simon and Simon. Luke and... Grant. He was in Luke Grant. He's a writer as well, Jeff. Dude, he married Susan Anton. He and Susan Anton moved to Vegas. He wrote and directed a short film starring Billy Bob Thornton, The Last Cowboy, which I don't remember if it was nominated for some sort of... uh, I'm, like, always confused of, like, was it Thornton was nominated for an Oscar, and that's why they mentioned, like, it was nominated for an Oscar, or was it nominated for Best Short Film? Anyway, he did that. He and Susan Anton have been making... um, I don't know what to say. Call it infotainment films, like in Las Vegas. I also, like, I love that you say Susan Anton. Like, I know who that is. Oh yeah, you know Susan Anton, like Susan Anton, who was so, like it's. I I can't work out if you're doing a bit now or not. Like, who is Susan Anton? <laughs> Susan Susan Anton was, and this is where I forget. Like, there's so much of our. Um, overlap this that i forget about our age gap all the time and the age gap usually comes up in stuff that is super super semi-obscure susan anton was like uh was in cannonball run too just yeah sort of like a half a hit wonder like she ended up being uh in, in like that She's tv show cliffhanger she yeah. was also in sharknado 4 oh my god really that's later yep. like someone tried bringing her she... back Yep, she was in Baywatch for 13 episodes. She was in Larry Sanders' show as herself. What? Oh, wow. Like, she's got, like, significant... Quantum Leap. Wow. You know, I gotta give it up. She's clearly kept working, which is good on her six and, I mean, sex and talk- 69. We're, yeah. we're literally talking about Quantum Leap, a show that ended, like, 30 Dude, years ago? Seriously, though, like, I mean, like, I was like, yeah, you know... Susan Anton, she was in shit like uh, The Love Boat and, uh, you know, 
like I want to say she was like Battle of the Network stars. Like it's weird how much I'm like, why aren't they listing her like TV show shit? Where it was Cliffhanger, wasn't it? Wasn't it Cliffhanger? I don't know. Anyway, they're listing all this other stuff, but I'm like, yeah. Anyway, so Susan Anton was kind of a you know I want to say a cut rate Susan Summers, but that's actually not right because Susan. Suzanne Summers was actually a big comedian. So like maybe like a cut rate Cheryl Ladd or like a a sub 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 level Farrah Fawcett majors like was on a TV show, was blonde, continued to get work for being on a TV show and was blonde I'm as blonde. you can only do in the 70s. And then um amazingly enough um like Three months after I moved to Los Angeles, or no, it's a year after I moved to Los Angeles, Susan Anton marries Jeff Lester. And and what's amazing is the San Francisco Chronicles gossip columnist wrote it up. And so all of my friends from college who are still in San Francisco and the people working in the bar where I had to throw out Jefferson Airplane guy were like, holy shit, thought it was me. Yeah, they totally thought I moved to Los Angeles and married Susan Anton, which was... Um, it's very, you did move to Los Angeles, so you're half right. I, you know, I, again, in that weird James Elroy thing, out of all the stuff with like Heavy D and the boys mean mugging, I'll never forget the moment where I looked across at this guy, this ridiculously, absurdly blonde, handsome guy who was being um, auctioned off at a bachelor auction. And so at the hotel that I worked. And so they kept him in the reservations office next to where I worked. So there were all these like C-list celebrities all hanging up in tuxedos, sort of nervously talking. And I remember him like looking like, like incredibly blonde, blue eyed, handsome into tux, but somehow like weirdly was trying to overcompensate pretentiously. Like he kind of kept, he had like a glass of champagne and he sort of thought that the best thing to do would be to hold the glass of champagne while sticking his thumb in the notch between his chin. So he'd look somehow, somehow pensive, but like also smelling the champagne. Right. And so I'm always like, Oh man, who the hell is that guy? So the next day, um, I go to work and the bachelor auction is over and they have the program guide sitting around everywhere. And this is not a joke. This literally happened to me, Graham. I took a copy to read on the can uh, and was flipping through all the biographies of the various uh, celebrity bachelors. And I, I really had that moment because I was young and dumb and 20-something like, I wonder what it would be like to see my name in this. And I turn the page and it says Jeff Lester. And it's that fucking guy. So I actually was face-to-face with Jeff Lester. And I mean... I love that. That's Look, this is the start of a Phil Kitek story. I'm just... <laughs> probably is. Probably is. You, you, know, so... you know it's true. Yeah. Jeff, I'm going to interrupt and say that like we've now been talking for over two hours, despite me repeatedly saying we're not going to record by 10 o'clock. It's way after 10 o'clock now. Yeah, it's totally true. I just need to find the name of this movie. In the cold of the night. In the cold of the night. What did I okay, say it was called? It? That's... I, no, I'm looking now. Uh, Nico Mastorak- Mastorakis. That I'm always bad with nothing like 
Jim Lister or whatever you said it was. I said Jesus Zabriskie, which was closer. And then I went to Joseph Lister, who, if we search on IMDb right now, Joseph Lister comes up as an actor, a director, and in the editorial department of Running Naked. So there you go. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> Show notes for this episode are going to be up. <laughs> While you're looking for something else, series, you can tweet at Jeff about uh, IMDb listings and whether or not he actually is a character in a Philip K. Dick film about, let's be honest, a failed actor who appeared in Star Trek IV. Uh, at Lazy Bastard, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D, and I am at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M. See, I got it wrong because I'm so tired. At G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Um, and we are a patron supporter podcast, which means Jeff is going to start talking right now. Now. I am. Now. And quick. Um, listeners, I hate to say it, but at some point during the middle of the week, I came up with a really great way of acknowledging how wonderful you were. And I forgot it. And since we're under the gun and Graham's tired and I was Mr. Like, oh, I'm not going to be talking a lot during this one. Ah, Jesus. Uh, let me just say that you are wonderful. Thank you for putting up with this particular episode in particular. Like, part of me is like, this is either great or terrible. Um, I'm not sure I wanted... Right. <laughs> and I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm afraid to find out what it is for you. But I hope, I hope it was more the great than the terrible or, I mean, you know, poor Graham. Anyway, and the fine people at Patreon... <laughs> you continue to support us with not only your ears, but a little bit of your hard-earned dosh. And that is so greatly appreciated and makes a ridiculous difference. Um, I'm hoping that uh, on our next rock, I will have something for Graham to post in the show notes that will show you just how, like, it is a thing in my house that I literally would not have if not for you. And... Um, I will tell you more about that, I th guess, when the time comes. But for now, let me just, uh, again, thank you and give a special shout out to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for her continued support of this podcast. And as far as I know, and again, this is a Philip K. Dick story, so who knows, really, um, we're still here. So thank you, Empress Audrey. Graham? But where is here? That's correct. Right. Uh, Jeff and I have to actually discuss scheduling because originally we we're going to be doing a drug next week, but I would like to suggest that we do it later this month and maybe we skip next week. But I'm going to leave you on tender hooks. I'm going to leave you as a cliffhanger as to whether the next episode is next week or the week after. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's entirely my fault. It's entirely uh, things to do on my end with rescheduling. But put it this way. Even if we don't do a proper episode next week, we might do uh, um, one of us makes up comics for the other one to be surprised by. Uh, Ooh, yeah. Quick episode. Yep. Just because both of us find those very fun. Um, yep. Otherwise, we will be back when we're back. Thank you very much for listening to this absolutely fucking bonkers episode. I apologize <laughs> profusely for everything that was said during it, especially things said by me. I, I you know, I, I don't what? say we're... No, we're you should apologize for the things said by me about I your I career. I think that's appropriate. I can't apologize for what you said, Jeff. You're your own. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll be back really soon. Bye!